episode hot shot 219 219 okay this is the part where i take a random guess around the country and see if i can nail it. one day i'm just gonna nail it Two, and blow your mind one nine boise idaho gary indiana oh. hello is it really gary indiana <laughs> yes sure do you know gary indiana do i know gary do i know the jacksons the jackson five they, they are from, from gary yeah. indiana that's right and as you know hot shot loves musicals wasn't there a song called Gary Indiana and the I Music Man? I have no idea. Don't don't play dumb. You love that nonsense like I do. I do, but I don't know the Music Man, <laughs> and I don't Indiana. I don't know the song called Gary Indiana. Oh, I Sorry. think there's a song called Gary Indiana and the Music Man. That's how I first heard of it. Would we know Gary Indiana if it weren't for the Jacksons? Well, if you're into musicals, you would. Yes. But that's probably it. That's it. That's about it. Gary Indiana. Hello. I'm sure I heard Larry King say it on CNN. Sure. You once had an intern from Muncie, Indiana. Did I? Yeah, little guy named Boris, redhead kid. Yes. You remember him, really? Well, I called him Boris Y. Because he looked like Boris Becker? Yes. Just minus another, about a foot, <laughs> right? I mean, he was like a little guy. Just another nickname that I handed out. Yep. Yes. Was he from Muncie, Indiana? I, I don't know why. How I, do you know exactly. that? Exactly. I don't want to know that. I need that out of my brain. I got the <laughs> limited room. Get stuff like that out. Who cares? But I remember him being from Muncie, Indiana. I don't know that Muncie counts in the 219, though. Oh, okay. Well. I didn't see Muncie listed amongst the cities. You know, I like to say a city now. Hello. Yeah. And then in segment one, a different city in 219. Okay, yeah. Hello. And then other stuff segment, kick it off with another, a third oh. city in the 219. I did not see Muncie, mm. Indiana listed. Yeah, I don't want you to be inaccurate about that. I don't know. Yeah, it's important. I, I'm with you. Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> is available on all major podcast platforms. It Please is. subscribe and have Monday shows delivered right to your podcast app. Rate and review us. On the Apple Podcast page, it really helps with booking guests. Give us a five-star. Tell us how you feel about the show on Apple. And, of course, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at oh. $5 a month. Yes. Now, last we left you, yes. listeners. Yes. You brought up a, a Christmas sale that you're throwing out for everyone because <laughs> everyone's got a sale here and there. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Cockamamie right. Wednesday. That's right. So you wanted to get in on the action and actually... Give the listeners or it's a week old. Oh, it's a week old. The That's Mitch right. Unfiltered yeah, sure. patron discount. Half uh -huh. price off to become a patron is now a week old. Great deal. I can't I mean help me understand what's going on with that. Fielding emails like mad? Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly what I should say. Uh oh. <laughs> Depends on what you would define as success. How would you define if you were doing a half price sale? Yeah. 50% off until December 25th on 12-month memberships to Mitch Unfiltered Patron. How would you determine whether it's a success or a failure? Because I believe on one hand, hmm. it is a raving success on one hand. Oh, really? Okay. A raving success. Okay. And on the other hand, it blew up on my face. I felt like Jay Leno, how it blew up in my face. Oh, no. Fixing a fuel line that got ignited. <laughs> Am I allowed to joke about that since he does? <laughs> yeah, he's out joking about it now, yeah, so it's all yeah, good. He's using it as part of his repertoire. So, yes, it a success on one hand and a complete unadulterated disaster oh. on the other hand. Which would you like me to go to first? <laughs> Which would you like to hear first? Well, just so everybody knows, when it comes to the disaster part, Hot Shot's not part of any of those patron shows. So just leave <laughs> me out of it. <laughs> I'm not in on this. Stay away from me. Oh. Keep your tweets. I'm out. Oh, um, let's, let's hear the good news. The good news. The success. If you were to define success... As how much reaction? Yeah. How much did it move the needle? Right. How many emails did you get taking advantage of this discount until 
until December the 25th. If we if we only judged it upon that, yeah. it would be the most successful thing I've ever done in my lifetime. All it took was to take $2.50 off of something for people to go crazy. <laughs> $30 for a 12-month membership. <laughs> yeah. Bringing the $5 a month total to two and a half month of yeah. total. I have gotten more reaction and so many emails taking advantage of the opportunity unreal that i am so overwhelmed i haven't even gotten back to people yet i have to come up with a way oh. that's how many of them are sitting in my email box right now it's incredible wow from the moment we introduced it how many people are excited to take advantage of the half price deal Mitch Unfiltered's holiday deal <laughs> through December 25th. And now you're just prisoner to just writing back to these people? Or just Well, I have to come up with it. I was going to write just to everybody. I, I figured a few would trickle in here. and there. I mean, there's literally hundreds. Hundreds. I, hundreds, wow. and hundred, hundreds and hundreds of emails that I have to return, giving people the instructions on how to do it, because I told you that if you want to take advantage of the Mitch Unfiltered 50% off yeah. for the next 12 months before December 25th, mm -hmm to email me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I was not prepared for how many emails came pouring in. So it's a an unqualified success from that standpoint. <laughs> Maybe we should have capped it, you know, like no? the, the first 10. No. Because sometimes you see 10% off and then yes. maximum $50 at the very bottom, right? It's not really 10% off. The fine print? Yeah, the fine print. Maybe there was no capped. fine print. There was no capping, no fine print. 12 no months oh. of Mitch Unfiltered patronship. For $30, which comes out to $2.5 a month instead yeah. of the $60, $5 a month. So now ask me, then why do you feel like Jay Leno? Or do you feel like I've already told you why I feel like Jay Leno? I sort of get it, but by the time you get no. it back to everybody, it'll be, no. it'll be the next holiday season. No, that has nothing you... to do with that. Oh, it doesn't? No. So, like, it's not the workload? No. You're just being stuck having to do this? No. Okay, now I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole point. That was the whole point. What blew up? Do you recall when I introduced the discount, the sale, what I was trying to accomplish? Do you remember my whole spiel on why I came up with such a sale? Well, I mean, didn't you? I thought it was because you saw everyone was having a sale yep, and you kind of wanted to yep, get in on yep, it. Yep, yeah, yes, yeah. That, was, that was one. That wasn't the main reason, but okay. that was one reason. And introduce new listeners to the content that you're putting out. We do, right. We do, we do these patron shows that run between 20 minutes and let's say 40 minutes we do four shows a week during the football season, mm -hmm. two or three shows during the week, extra shows during the week, during the non-football season. And I think you could take me for my word when I say to you, I'm really proud of those shows. Yeah, I'm not the type of guy that would tell you I'm proud of it if I really wasn't. Yeah. I think I would tell you if they were shitty or I just wouldn't do them if right. they were shitty. I think they are all different and really good, even though you're not involved in That's it. That's right, yeah. I'm very proud of those four shows that we do during the football season with Danny O'Neill and Randy Mueller and Brady Henderson and Joe Fan and Slick Hawk. Yeah. And we do a really good job. Yeah. And I thought, and we're going to do a Mariners no table during the baseball season because now the Mariners are good and right. interesting, whatever. I just thought maybe I can come up with a holiday deal like everybody else right. to try to expand how many people get a chance to expand be exposed to that. That's I think they're very good. I think the shows are yeah. very, very good. And then I went on to tell you last week on episode 218 that I felt bad oh. doing this for new listeners, new patrons, right. when there have been the thousands of patrons that have been with me since the beginning. I feel like I should, I should offer them the same deal because yeah. 
Why should I go out of my way? Forgot about that part. Yeah. Right? I mean, in the past, it's like I've been a T-Mobile subscriber. New T-Mobile subscribers get a new iPhone. Right. I've been with you 10 years. So should I just cancel? Uh, Sign back up? (laughs) But what I also told you last week is that when I floated this idea out on Twitter, current patrons, and there were a good handful, some even emailed me, said, hey, don't worry about us. That's right. This yeah. happens all the time with T-Mobile. This yeah, is yeah. this is the way you encourage new subscribers. Don't worry about offering us the deal or offering us. And I felt bad. I just felt like I needed, because of the support that I've gotten from the original patrons, I needed to offer them something too. Right. Everyone taking me up on the deal are patrons. Oh, no. God. Oh, no. Oh, the God. hundreds and hundreds of emails I've got waiting for me are all current patrons that want to pay less for the next 12 months and taking advantage of the deal, oh. which they are welcome to do. But right. the, the whole idea was to get new people to oh, listen. No. So, by the way, before I start to cry and moan about all the money that we're going to lose because <laughs> now we're offering people who are ready to pay $5 a month for the next 12 months two and a half dollars yeah, a month that's some sale. before i before i complain about that as my wife said appropriately so what's a better compliment than people who are exposed to the product that you're proud of saying yes we want 12 more months of this you can't get a better compliment to the type of yeah. shows that you're doing than everybody who knows about them saying i want the deal because i want to be a patron for the next 12 months too i mean it's true everybody yeah. extending and converting from month to month to 12 months should tell you what you need to know, Mitch, that you're doing a good job and yeah. that it's good stuff. Lock me in. I'm Lock in. Me I right. like it. Yeah. That's a great compliment. Problem right? is you now have 500 mortgages to refinance for everybody. That's the problem, right? You got to go in and refinance everyone's mortgage because they want a lower rate. So <laughs> have fun. How do you look at it? Is it you just asked me a loaded question? Hey, how's yeah. it going, Mitch? Yeah. How is it going? Sorry, I asked. Yeah. You tell me, how's it going? Well, I mean, you say all patrons, you're being facetious like 98 percent. come on really yes. it's one email after the other hey i'm a patron i want the two and a half i want to extend for uh, 12 months for 30 bucks okay you're welcome to there's a couple of stragglers in there like oh i've been meaning to become a patron or oh yeah i'd like to hear what you're doing each week and uh-huh. yeah there's a couple of here and there but for the most part yeah the discount which was intended to get more <laughs> listeners yeah. has turned into Let's charge everybody who is willing to pay full price, yeah. half price for the next 12 months. So how's it going, Hot Shots? What guys? percent were Hot Shots sucks emails? Like, what would you None. Say? Zero. Oh, real this time. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Zero. That's good to know. So what's the plan now? Now you're just going to be what, what, what? head down, tweaking all these memberships yes. for the next yes. 12 months until yes. you're ready to do it again? <laughs> God. I am here to announce. Yeah. That in December of 2023, one year from now, we are going to have a deal for new patrons only. Right. You had your chance, everybody. I'm telling you right now. That's right. Whatever deal we do from here on in are new patrons only. Yep. No, I I probably. But yeah, I mean, honestly, you did give the current patrons an opportunity to save some bucks. I I have no. So don't feel bad in 23 if you want to do it for new patrons only. Oh, I see. Yeah, because they already had their chance to get some. I don't want to come across. I thought you were going to say that I'm coming across as bitter and I don't want to give it to the. I just would have liked to have seen some new people come to the door. Yeah. 
A little more than 3% of them, <laughs> I guess, yes. That wasn't the intention. Yeah. Anyway. Any contest we ever, it's not a contest, but anything we ever did on the air, no matter, we could be like, here's $5 million and five single women to come over to your house tonight. Somebody would have found a way to complain about it, ruin it, sab it just, it would have gone wrong. No matter what contest we ran. You know what it kind of feels like? And you, this is going to resonate with you as the producer of T-Man Show. And I the wasn't producer, the producer, but go ahead. Whatever you were. Yes. KJR and mm -hmm. just your experiences in radio yep. with, with contests. Oh, always something. Remember when we always would see the same guy win over and over? Oh, they're again? called prize pigs. Prize pigs. Yeah, they're like, they're, they, <laughs> it's, it's an art. I'm actually friends with two of them. I know two prize pigs. Prize pigs. Oh, they, they go from station to station to station. Like I, I, I could, we could have this one woman on. She works at a children's hospital in Seattle, by the way. I've known her for a long time. Oh, she's won a, a motorcycle, a bike, a trip yeah. to Spain. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. Like, KVI, these little stations no one listens to. She's winning their big jack. It's, it's a real science. Like they know how to really? win prizes. Really? Yeah. So oh, yes, I don't know about that. It is over. It is the same people over and over. Yeah. When we used to do the bigger dance, Jen. Dolores, you know, oh, 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 yeah. Do I remember? We had people. I had people that constantly would come up to me and say, "It's all rigged, right?" Dolores, <laughs> sorry, Dolores. Yes, <laughs> it's all rigged, right? And I'd say, "No, it's not rigged." He, and they'd say, "Yes, it is." You don't really take call. Those aren't real calls that you take to vote. I said, "Yes, it is." And they're like, "I've been. Tr I try every game. Every game I try to get through. It's busy, signal busy." And I listen to the show, and it's the same people that get through over and over yeah. again. I hear the same people voting over and I can't get through. So how, how are you telling me it's not rigged? I don't know how those people do it. I, I, one of my prize pig friends I know had multiple phones because he would call from work. So he would grab like three or four different landlines and I just see. keep punching and redialing. I don't and, know. Yeah, I'm telling you, like it's a, it's an art, this prize pig thing. <laughs> I don't know if people do it anymore, but it was an art for a while. And anyway. it's not rigged. Because I, I had to do it with gas when, you know, we, remember when it moved to the different day parts, we had to run a contest? No, it's not rigged. Not rigged. I mean, I, I goofed on it a couple times. I got yelled at by five people. It's <laughs> definitely not rigged. I promise everybody. <laughs> God. God. Anyway, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. <laughs> if you'd like half price off a 12-month subscription to Mitch Unfiltered Patron and have access to not only all the upcoming shows, but every show we've ever done, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. And yes, if you're a current patron and you'd like to convert your deal to a 12-month deal and get half price, the deal is open for you as well. Uh, all right. Dear Mitch, thanks for the holiday discount offer, but I only pay cut-rate prices for shoddy products. So I'll stick with the $5 a month. Very nice. All right. Thanks for all the entertainment and have a great holiday season, Mike. That's funny. I like that. Good yeah, for Mike. Yeah, I'm glad he... Buys a lot of shoddy product. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's why it's half price. Hello, Mitch. Just wanted to reach out about your partner on the podcast. Oh, here we go. Scott Soden. Okay. I don't think I'll read that one. I Thank you. I'll go to the next one. I nah, I'm going to read it. I think he's just fine. Despite what everyone else seems to think about him. <laughs> everyone? Okay. <laughs> but I will say that it's uh -oh. fascinating. But I will. How he comes up with incredible sports polls yeah. and comments from decades ago yeah. and then three minutes later <laughs> I can almost hear his blank stare through the speakers of my phone so can I. when you're talking about well-known current sports oh, figures he's not lying yeah are we sure he's not snowing us by the way the podcast is really top-notch I think better than the KJR days in my opinion Frank in Tempe Arizona 
Yeah, I could I could tell you the Seahawks' number one draft pick in 1984, but can't name ten players in the NBA today. I just my sports watching just declined dramatically the last ten years. I I figured out seven or eight reasons why that's happened. Seven but, or eight reasons. Yeah, because I've thought a lot about it. Like, why don't I love sports like I used oh. to? But I, I won't bore the audience with it. But yeah, I know he's right. Can you drop a few on us? Uh, I think I family. Think, I th- well, yeah, that I mean that obviously uh, yeah. lo- losing a job, but you have to kind of like put sports on the back burner. You got to like go look for work and pay bills and shit, right? Right. right. So that um, the Sonics leaving like really hurt, and it was kind of like across the board, like football, yeah, and just baseball like, too. What are we doing? Really? If, if they can just up and take the team. I mean, wow. you know, I've never heard somebody say the Sonics leaving has soured me on all sports. Yeah, it has. Wow. And then uh, I think when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, it was just like I waited my whole life for it. And it was kind of like, all right, now what? That was oh. cool. I don't know. Really? Do we all get a check for the half a Seahawks million? The Seahawks winning money? the Super Bowl is one of the seven yeah. or eight reasons why you don't watch sports anymore. I was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, wow. and to say I don't watch sports, if you ask my wife, she probably thinks I'm watching it all the time. But yeah. I'm probably watching it about 15% of what I used to. I used to be a nerd like you and just loving it any little thing that excuse you saw me on a nerd <laughs> like me so this this person's completely right you do realize that for 22 years on kjr you, yeah from the day i arrived in 1994 oh. to the day i departed yeah. i heard from everyone this guy does not know anything about sports yeah. does not watch sports that's why he talks about all these other things right the reason he does all this other nonsense yeah. is to cover up for the fact that he's not a huge sports fan. Right. So now you're calling me a sports oh, nerd. Which one is it? I never Am said I? you didn't watch sports. <laughs> Those are the listeners. Which not me. one? <laughs> I can tell everyone he loves it. Believe me, he loves uh, it. Dear Mitch, hi Mitch. I know how to solve your problems with watching football on Amazon Prime. What you have a problem? Yeah, I hate Thursday night games because of the way the, the camera nerd looks. in me hates there, everything about. The Thursday night game being on Amazon Prime, yeah. having to find it and log in. The quality of it's not very good. It skips. The sound of Al Michaels isn't very good. Huh. I, I've been ragging on it for, for, for months okay. on the other shows. First of all, don't go to Scott for advice. It's the first <laughs> thing he said. That's probably a good, good solution. Second, your cable box is the biggest piece of crap technology in your entire house. Don't try to access streaming services on it. Xfinity doesn't even want you to go to streaming services. I didn't know that. Third, buy an Amazon Fire Stick. It'll cost you $40. You just plug it into an HDMI port on your TV. You already lost Mitch. And if you can't find an HDMI (laughs) port, one of your sons can help you. Repeat, don't ask Scott. (laughs) And it runs on Wi-Fi easy peasy. All streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, Apple, Amazon Prime, etc., can now be accessed from the Fire Stick. Just log into all the services and bingo, you're done and we'll be streaming away. Your life will be simpler and easier. Best of luck, my friend, Steve. I'm constantly watching apps through the Xfinity. Yeah, it, you see, do. It's not that bad. Well, by the way, I'm who, telling you, Thursday Night Football sucks. Okay, that, that might I'm be I'm just telling you, but at like least Netflix on my looks TV, fine. you can come over on Thursday nights, bring yeah. the whole family, and I'll show you an inferior product. It huh. looks terrible. At least on my TVs, Thursday night looks terrible. And you're running it You're running it through your Xfinity box? I think I, you're asking me yeah, a lot of questions that I can't answer. Yeah, I'm not supposed to help it. But anyone. I can tell you this, yeah. that this past Thursday night, the Seahawks played the 49ers, and because of the rules of the NFL – an over-the-air channel has to be able to to provide a local football game. Yeah. 
So they took the Amazon product, the entire Amazon product, and they put it on Q13 Fox. Okay. And I watched it on Q13 with Al Michaels, the whole streaming product. The yeah, whole yeah. Stream, it was fantastic. It was fine. It oh, was it was. Perfect. So you tell me why on 13, it looked great on Thursday. Yeah. And on Amazon, when I have to stream it, it sucks. Not allowed to help. So ask somebody else. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Beat the Boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Week 16 is forthcoming. We love Fireside. Thank you to John Waterstrat for being the presenting sponsor at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Here are the Week 16 games. Bengals at Pats. Lions at Panthers. Eagles at Cowboys. Password is Benji. B-E-N-J-I. Okay. I don't know why. There is a reason, I'm guessing. There, there is a reason. Is this one of those things I should know? No, like, okay, no, right. no. It, you'd have to be a patron who listens to the patron shows okay. to know why. Not going to explain it here. It is a name, but it's not capitalized, B- I'm guessing. B-E-N-J. Well, none of it is capital. You know, it's all... I just want to make sure. Yes. Because it is a name, which typically is capitalized. So no, people, never, okay, never right. a password is capitalized. Okay, gotcha. All right. B-E-N-J-I. J-I. Okay. And for those of you that are patrons... Who just asked for the discount? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and listened to Slickhawk and me last week. You know why the the password is Benji. Gotcha. If you didn't, you don't. So if, if sorry. you know, you know. If you know, you know. Gotcha. Guests on this episode two one nine, Mariners no table, Churchill and Slick and me on the controversial Mariners off season. The decision not to be in on any of the shortstops and all those mega deals for yeah. all those great shortstops. The Mariners' no table, we will discuss what the Mariners have done and what the Mariners have not done this past offseason. Okay. Neuheisel was supposed to have the week off, but the Mike Leach story changed that. Right. So Neuheisel on Mike Leach and his interactions with Mike Leach over the years. Right. And the Seahawks' no table after the Seahawks lost to the 49ers on Thursday night. And I'm thinking that if you take the T in Seahawks' no table off of the front of table... Mm-hmm. And you slide it over to the end of no. Yeah. What are you left with? Not able. Gotcha. The Seahawks not able. Gotcha. Uh, will be featured also on episode two. It'd be like an old, that's like an old Benny Hill gag where yes, like the sign would be that he pushes letters together. Yeah. And what percentage of our audience knows who Benny Hill is besides me and you? 14. 14%. I just checked. What percentage of the people that are going to pay 50% over the next 12 months know who Benny Hill is? Well, if you were, you know, in your teens or a little younger and you realize that that British show on PBS would actually show women without their tops on from time to time, you might have <laughs> dialed in a little more when, when you were a younger person. And I thank you for the World Cup clip that you sent me today. Unreal. People are getting yelled at for having a rainbow shirt on in that stadium. How is that possible? I like soccer, though. It's pretty sweet. I got to say, I think I'm in more. <laughs> Why did you tell me all you soccer fans? Episode 219, 219. Doesn't happen without our partners like Daniel's Broiler for the holidays. Last chance to make a reservation at one of the four great Daniel's locations. I'm telling you, take your family for a special night before the new year. You won't regret it. Daniel'sBroiler.com for reservations. Fireside Home Solutions. Nothing quite like curling up in front of a toasty fireplace during the winter. John Waterstrat and his team do it just right. Also the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition. Week 16 on the way. Password Benji. B-E-N-J-I. FiresideHomeSolutions.com The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage 
no longer. It's now the downtown Woodenville office, led by, of course, Jordan Flowers, just across the street from Zeke's Pizza. Times have gotten challenging, no question, to finance homes. That's when a terrific mortgage house shines through the most. Jordan Flowers' team will come up with answers. 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, new locations all over the place. Soon, we'll be able to say north to Bellingham, south to Portland, east to Boise, Idaho. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Episode 219 begins right now. Unfiltered. Everybody says empty tackles, missed assignments, yada, yada, yada. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that I could close my eyes and see Jordan Brooks running around making tackles as some linebacker on a good defensive football team. Unfiltered. You then turn around three months, four months later, and you go to training camp, and guess who's hanging around? Monet, Woods, Puna, (laughs) Jefferson. They all keep coming back. They're like luggage that you can't get rid of, and none of them are any good. Mitch is unfiltered. Officially underway, episode 219. Hammond, Indiana. Hello. <laughs> oh, Hammond now. Nice. <laughs> Hammond, Indiana. Never heard of Hammond. Me either. Never heard of it. You know, Hotshot's breaking a streak tonight, I got to tell you. A streak is being broken. Really? And I, th- I th- actually thought it might take a little longer than this. So I'm a little surprised. What streak are we talking about? Having not been to a Kraken game, the streak is ending oh, as we record. You've never been to a Kraken game. No. Hot shots taken in a cracking game. A Sunday night cracking game with the family. Uh, with the wife, yes. Daughters at home, yes. What? What's the uh, the occasion? Why? How did this happen? Are you excited? Are you not excited? Are you yeah. gonna have a report for us? Oh, I'll have a report for you. I can't yeah. wait. No, yeah. I, a friend of mine uh, invited me to go. Uh, he, he and his wife, and me and my wife, and I guess we're in a suite. So who? Oh, I? that's not no. Yeah, free food and drinks. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I guess so. okay. Who am I to say no? Well, the whole night's free for you, right? Um, I offered, I said, what do we owe you? And I haven't heard back. So maybe I'll get a bill for $4,000 on the way out. You're going to push that or is you going to lay off now? Now that you've asked and haven't heard back, are you going (laughs) to, I'm going to do the the move that your old producer used to do when we'd all wink, when we'd all go out to lunch or dinner and Tepper was with us. Yeah. Who typically picked up the check. Yeah. He would like sheepishly hold his debit card up kind of by his ear. Like (laughs) (laughs) I have it out technically, but I'm not, Uh, if you really wanted to pay, you could have just grabbed the check. You know, who are the old Kraken playing? Do you even know on this Sunday night? That's a great question. You have no idea. Winnipeg. Maybe is that a team? Is this your first time at climate pledge arena? First time for everything. Yes. Really? I haven't watched an entire cracking game before. Okay. But you've not been in the arena. I haven't been in the arena. No. Wow. Yeah. Pretty exciting. I know. I'm really excited to hear what you think. You've not been inside the arena. I have not. No. I know. I'm excited. This is going to be the home of the new NBA team for many years to come. You do understand that. When's that happening? It's going to happen. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, just hold on. Uh, yeah, they're playing Winnipeg, it looks like. The Winnipeg Jets. 5.08 p.m. puck drop. Nice. Let's go. Wow. Are you excited to go to your fr- – you can't be that excited just because you haven't been there this whole time. And 
You would have been there by now if you were excited to go to a game. Yes, but it's a friend who I've known since fifth grade. He was at yes. my wedding. I love him and his wife. And yes. So it'll be awesome seeing them. My wife's been bugging the shit out of me to go because she's a humongous NHL fan, right? So now, I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, this is the hot place to be. She keeps, we got to go to a crack. It'd be so fun. She likes the sweatshirts, you know, the whole oh. thing. So I'll get some good PR with her. And yeah, I'm root for anything Seattle. It'll be awesome. I've never been to an NHL game. They say you got to go once in person. Maybe you'll, it'll of course, hook you. Of course. I hear the same thing about NASCAR I've never been to. They I've, say if you I've go been, in person, it's way better. I've been to one game. Okay. And I'm already, already, I shouldn't say already, <laughs> but I'm on my way to my second game. In January, I'm going to my second game. So. Who, who, do, who do you go with? The fam? I went with the fam the first time. I got four tickets and brought the family so that we could all experience it. Yep. And I'm going with another couple. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Question, if this guy has been a friend since fifth grade, what Mm -hmm. took him so long to invite you to a game? Well, he knows I'm kind of antisocial, so he probably was afraid of me saying no. So, But if he includes my wife, well, now I got got that. I see. I got that that pressure, too, you know, because I am kind of antisocial. He's not wrong if he... All my friends go around me, and they go to my wife if there's ever anything we're invited to. So maybe that's why. I don't know. So we've got the Seattle Seahawks continuing to fold down the stretch in the NFL season. We're a few days removed from what I would call the most deceiving 21-13 to final in NFL history. I'm assuming you watched on Thursday night. Well, I missed a bunch. I was working, but I, ah, I, I kept an eye on it. But good for you. I actually had that question for, for you because I didn't watch every snap like I guess you did. Yeah, oh, I did. Did it feel like an eight-point game? No. As soon as I get home, I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn it on. And I just see this like 50-yard run right up the gut. And why didn't they score at that point? I don't understand. It was... You mean at the end of the game? Yeah, at the end of the game. Because they didn't want to score. They didn't want to rub it in. Okay. The game was over. It was over. They ran out the clock. But it it just felt so like indicative of this season. Just an enormous run right up the middle. On one hand, there was a pick six, I believe. Okay. That came back after a terrible roughing the passer call. So the... 49ers would have had a pick six, seven more. Oh. And then there was the long run. They could have scored right there. Right. So while it ended 21-13, <laughs> it felt more like 35-13 okay. than 21-13. On the other hand, somebody might be yelling at their podcast right now. The Seahawks at 7-3, to Quandre Diggs, and I thought of you immediately, uh-huh. had an interception right in his oh, hands God. with about three and a half minutes to go in the first half, down 7-3. I mean, literally nobody around him right in his hands. And had he just held on, he may have scored himself on that play or at least gotten them into good field in, position. Into good field yeah. position. They could have been ahead at the half. So I don't know how to think about it. But he Why didn't can't catch guys it. on defense catch a football? Go ahead. You want me to leave the room? And yes, you can, you please can have leave. The, leave you, Misty and you can go. You can have the floor for a few minutes. People go, well, that's why they're on defense. That's such a bullshit cop-out excuse. You're in the NFL. Learn to catch a football. If I threw it to your son, could he catch it? I've been thinking about what my answer might be because I knew you were going down yeah. this road. And and the best I could say is because defensive play, and you're not going to accept this. I, won't. I, I I shouldn't even say it. Because defensive players don't expect the ball to be thrown to them, they're not the intended receiver. The receivers, yeah, I get that, I the guess. ball is being thrown to receivers. They're expecting to be the ball to come to them and to catch it. And when defenders get a chance, it's kind of a surprise. Oh, okay. Like, oh my God, here's the ball. I 
I don't have much better for you. So, so, so going forward, Quandre Diggs now knows balls might come to him. He'll catch everything. Is, is that what you're telling no, me? No, that's not what I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure I understand that's now. That's not what I'm telling now, now he won't be surprised. I mean, I, I guarantee they, they do like tip drills and that kind of stuff at yeah. practice to learn to catch the ball better. I don't get it. I'll never get it. I'll just go to my grave never understanding why somebody in the NFL can't catch a football. It drives me nuts. So now since the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. Oh, yeah. The Seahawks have lost that game. They've lost the Raiders game. They've lost the Panthers game. They barely won the Rams game against an XFL team. And now they've lost a 49ers game. So I guess they've lost, what, four out of five, five out of six, something like that. And they are just leaking oil to the finish line. Yep. And by the way, I'm going to tell you here in a second that they still have an opportunity to go to the playoffs. Do we want that, though? Are, are you rooting for that, or are you not rooting either way? At this point, I'm rooting. Yes, I'm rooting for them to go to the playoffs. You are? At this point. Okay. Even though they suck, yes, I okay. am. Because they've gotten to me to this point, which is going to be my question. Would it have been an easier year if they just sucked from the beginning and they never gave us any kind of hope and they never teased us with that four-game stretch which had them like atop the NFC West and we were like, oh, my God. Yeah. Geno's better than anybody expected. They're better than anybody expected. And why can't they win the NFC West? They got us to that point, and then they just they just pulled the the tablecloth from under us. Yeah. So which would have been an easier year to accept? Terrible from the beginning or where we are today? Terrible from the beginning, by far for me. By far. Yep. This is torture. It's absolutely torture. Because they're gonna do this is this is my nightmare. They're they're not gonna be awful and tank it. They're not going to win the Super Bowl or make a run in the playoffs. They're going to be you're right t- in the middle. You're talking about draft choice. Well, now. just the overall season. Like you kind of, they, Maybe they kind of look good for a game, and then they lose to the Raiders. And then maybe they kind of look – it's just – yeah, it's torture. Like, which, who are you? Are you a good team or are you a shit team? I, I can't tell. I guess they're in the middle, right? I mean – Well, they're a shit team right now. There's yeah. no question about that. They're a shit team right now. They're 7-7, seven oh. and seven, and they still have an opportunity. I'll tell you right now, if they could somehow sweep the three games, which they haven't been able to win a game, let alone three games, <laughs> right? They will, they will be in the playoffs. Now, they got to go to Kansas City this week. How's that looking to you? Although the Chiefs on Sunday went to Houston and needed overtime to beat the team that's going to have the number one overall pick in the NFL. The worst team yeah. in the NFL. The Chiefs went to the worst team in the NFL and needed overtime to beat the Texans. What does that mean? I don't know. That just means they'll come home and kick Seattle's that's ass right. all that's over what, the place. I think that's what that Probably. means. Yeah, they're going to get their shit together. So if the, if the, I'll give you some Mr. Playoffs. If the Seahawks win all three, they finish 10 and 7, they're going to be in the playoffs. Okay. Not mathematically. I can't tell you it's a mathematical certainty, but 95, 98%. If they win all three, they're going to be in the playoffs. And you've been saying 10 and 7 all year. We'll get We'll get them in. We'll get them in. We'll yeah. now, the question is, will 9 and 8 get them in? And I don't know that anybody even has the energy as Seahawks fans anymore to even accept this. <laughs> right. Because maybe you'd say, screw it, Mitch. Screw it, Mr. Playoffs. I don't even, I'm, I'm skipping forward. I don't even want to know. Yeah. I don't even want to, because they can't win a game. So how are they going to win two out of three? After the Kansas City game, they're going to, they're going to finish the season with the Jets here. Okay. Yeah. And then the Rams here. Right. Could they, should they maybe win both of those two games after losing to Kansas City and finish the season 9-8? and eight? It's not unreasonable to not think. Not unreasonable to think. And I would have thought they could beat the Panthers and the Raiders. That was not unreasonable yeah. to think yeah. as well. So. And the Falcons. And, and the Falcons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. 9-8. Nine and 9-8. and eight. Ugh. There's a chance at 9-8. and eight. Okay. I would call it about 
45%. If you said, what are the chances a 9-8 and eight team gets in, I'll tell you about 45, somewhere between 40 and 50%. Right, coin flip. Because what the Seahawks would then need would be the following. The Detroit Lions, who won on Sunday again in New York against the Jets, would have to lose one of their final three games. Okay. And then either the Giants or the Commanders, who are playing on Sunday night while you're at the hockey game, mm-hmm. would have to lose three of their final four. Now you're going to say, three? Three? And you're going to call that a 45% chance? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just say, before you jump all over Mr. Playoff's back, I'll yeah. just say this. One of them is going to lose on Sunday night. True. So let's say Washington's at home and hotter. The Giants haven't been able to win a game in months. So let's say Washington, just humor me here, Washington wins on Sunday night at home against the Giants. So now you need the Giants to lose how many more games? Two. They play three. Here are the three games that they would play. At Minnesota against the Vikings, home against the Indianapolis Colts, and at Philadelphia to finish off the season. Where Philadelphia is resting everyone because they've clinched. Maybe. Okay. We'll see about that. All right. So it is not out of the realm of a possibility. No, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the loser of tonight's game between Washington and the Giants, I say tonight, I mean Sunday night's game. That's right, yes. Could lose two of the last three. If it's Washington who loses on Sunday night to the Giants, their final three games are at San Francisco... Deshaun Watson in Cleveland Hmm. and against the Dallas Cowboys to end the season. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that's why it's between 40 and 50%. Okay. If the Seahawks should somehow win two of their last three games. And if they win all three, I think they'll be definitely in the playoffs at 10 10 and 7. And maybe you'd say, I don't even want them in the playoffs. I I don't want it. I don't don't, don't want to get ready for week one of the playoffs and then watch them lose by 50 to somebody. (laughs) That's right. I'm putting the face paint on, the whole routine. Just just forget forget it. it. Put us out of our misery. Maybe that's the way you feel. You don't want them to make the playoffs. I don't know. That's kind of where I am. Really? That's kind of where I am. Yeah, unfortunately... And they're going to have, I mean, what if, what if Gino was like the best quarterback, you know, out there and he had these crazy, yeah. if he kept those numbers going, what do you get? Now you got to pay him. Now you got to commit to him. It's put, <laughs> put him in kind of a tough spot anyway, if he would have just been the MVP of the league. The one thing I do want to mention before we finish segment one and go to the interviews and they get to the other stuff segment, I don't think we should wait to RIPs because the Mike Leach story is so much bigger than just listing him in the RIPs. Yeah, he on deserves more than that for sure. Well, he deserves it, and just the story itself. I think it happened again on Sunday night, last Sunday night, when you and I were recording. Right after you and I were recording, the news came out that he had had a significant medical event at home. Yeah. As it turns out, it was a massive heart attack. They had to airlift him from home to the hospital, and he died the next night, 61 years old. Yeah. And that story has dominated the headlines, all the headlines, the last week, and I thought maybe we should talk a little bit about it. Did you ever get a chance to talk to or know Mike Leach? Or what did you think of Mike Leach? I, I never met him. I never spoke to him. I I, I liked what he brought to college football. Yeah. That meant I didn't root for Wazoo. I don't root for Mississippi State. I just, the game felt more fun with him in it. And I, I said on Twitter but last summer when I was at East Car- I was in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, driving around all the time. I kept seeing these things called. What the- were you doing in Greenville? <laughs> I kept seeing these things called pirate stores. And I was like, pirate store i was like 
How do, first of all, how do they make any money? Who the hell would ever go in a pirate store? And then every time I saw it, I was like, Mike Leach would love it. Yeah. And stupid me realized that that's the home of the East Carolina oh. pirates. It only took me like four days to do the math on that. Can but, I go back to that email that we read <laughs> at the beginning of the show? But I, I thought about him a lot. I thought, God, it, Mike Leach would love this place. There's pirates everywhere. But I don't know. I just, it's, it's, I, I just, he, he looked to me like he was a guy who happened to be good at coaching football. And it was a great way to make a lot of money. But if, if you gave him true serum and asked him what he would like to do, he'd probably rather be on a beach doing nothing. Does that make any sense I, I what I'm saying? I think there's no question that that's accurate. He just happened to be good at coaching football. But yeah. but like a, a guy like Chip Kelly is probably watching film right now. You know what I mean? Like X is a no, you can't get enough of it. But Mike Leach was like, nah, I'd rather be drinking a beer on a beach. But oh, by the way, I'm good at coaching football, so I'll get a head job in the SEC. And I always kind of respected him for that. We don't have to talk too much about Mike Leach just because we have New Heisel for 20 minutes telling yeah. Mike Leach stories. I love the story that you're going to hear from New Heisel of when Mike Leach kind of his entree into coaching, showing up at a coach's door with a play on a napkin that he thought was the the undefendable play, <laughs> I love only it. to find out that he had 12 guys on the field. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you must have had some interaction. I did the show all those. I years. did. I did. Not a lot. But when he was at Washington State, especially early on in his tenure, I was at KJR doing the morning show. Uh -huh. And I had a chance to interview him a couple of times. And I was thinking about those interviews as I got ready for this, this episode of the podcast. What I remember about interviewing Mike Leach the couple of times that I did on KJR was how I felt before the interview. How I felt the night before the interview when I would traditionally sit down at a dark house and get the show ready and get my questions ready yeah. and get, get my strategy for interviews ready. I remember having a very unusual stress huh. about interviewing Mike Leach. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Everybody's seen the quirkiness in the interviews yeah. when he goes off topic and he starts talking about why you shouldn't get married yeah. and best men His favorite and, candy. candies the best. and pirates. <laughs> and he, he gives life advice. Everybody yeah. knows when he starts rolling yeah. how effing entertaining the guy is. Yeah. But when you listen to him talk, he's not a vivacious speaker. He's a very, almost a little bit of a monotone. Sure. He's not yeah, He's yeah. not really kind of a excitable guy. Right. And what I remember about interviewing him was he had such this, he had such this reputation of when you get him going, he's unbelievably funny and interesting. But if you don't get him going or he's not in the mood oh, to get going, gotcha. he could be just very bland. Dry, yeah. And I would feel the pressure. I remember the couple interviews. I remember sitting downstairs in my in my office going, God, I gotta I felt a, a huge stress that I had to get him going. I had to wind him up somehow. Right. Because people, when I would say, Hey, Mike Leach is gonna join us on Mitchell in the morning on KJR, yeah. people in their cars would say, Oh, that's gonna be awesome. This is gonna be yeah. great. He's gonna go off and yep, Mitch yep. is gonna go off and this is gonna be and I felt like this enormous, like, oh my God, what happens if he doesn't? Right. Yeah, what happens if I can't get him going? Then it's just a blah, monotone yep. coach of the Washington State Cougars. I can remember specifically feeling an anxiety about interviewing him and wanting the interview to be great yeah. and worried that it wouldn't be. Huh. And so what was the finished product, if you're being honest? I don't recall it being great. Really? Okay. But I think I got him going a little bit on some topics, but I don't ever remember walking away going, okay, that was, that's a Soundy Award winner right there. <laughs> Soundy. <laughs> right. But I do remember the huh. stress. Interesting. 
And because of that stress, I wasn't really that eager to have him on because I felt like I was going to fail somehow. Yeah. I was going to fail the audience if he doesn't, if I don't get him going about why you shouldn't get married or dating advice. If I don't get him going, yeah. he's got to be in a certain mood. That's right. And when he picks up the phone at, at like 745 in the morning, yeah. it's not in the afternoon or the evening. He's just waking up. Right. Maybe they lost two days ago. And yeah, he's like, calling some schmageggy in, in, <laughs> in Seattle that he doesn't know. Yeah. He's just going to hear my voice. He's not even going to see me. Yep. It, it's a it's a hit or miss situation. Right. It could be insanely yeah. entertaining or just a guy mumbling about football. Completely. With easy Completely. questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't recall it being fantastic. Hmm. But I also don't remember it being a dud either. I just don't remember the, the two that I had or three that I had. I like when you start seeing the stories coming out on Twitter about him. Like, oh, I was a student reporter, and he's, oh. he's the only coach that called me back, and he called oh, me at like yeah. 11 o'clock at night. You love that. You love that kind You'll of shit, you know? It just, oh, yeah. He seems like just the, like just this great guy. But then Craig James jumped into the – I mean, people yes. were hating on Craig James yes. for his son and that whole thing. I think thing the overall and, sentiment, and I talked to Neuheisel about that. Oh, you did? So you'll, okay, hear, you'll hear that part of the interview. I think the overall sentiment in the college football world is that Mike Leach got a bad rap on that. Yeah. He ended up getting fired over that. He did, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the way he ended up coming to Washington State. Right. And wait do you hear Neuheisel tell the story of the interview with the Washington State athletic director in Key West, Florida, that got Mike Leach the Washington State job. It's a great, really? it's a great story. Interesting. Okay. How he shows up and what he's wearing when he shows up. <laughs> I can't wait. The whole thing. Oh god! No, you said it's casual. <laughs> That's right. It's Key West. I mean, what, what is this here? Anyway, amazing. Really he, sad. It, we need super sad. More Mike Leaches and less Urban Myers in college football. Right? Just more characters like that who don't take it. I mean, of course he takes it serious. He's a head coach in the SEC, you know, but just a guy who could laugh at himself and and and. I don't know, appear like he doesn't really take it that seriously, man. He he added some flavor and color to the sport that no one else does. How right old now. are you now? Uh, 48 years old. So when you hear a story about Grant Wall. <laughs> yeah. 49? 49. Yeah. Collapsing. Yep. When you hear a story about Mike Lee, am I the only one that scares the absolute shit out no, of him? No, I mean, of course not. Yeah, I, I or do people just not talk about that part of the story? They probably don't talk about it, but oh I mean, I think God. about my mortality all the time. It, oh my with God. every year that passes, I think more and more about it. Like I start to hear that Mike Leach was suffering from pneumonia during the season. Did you hear that? No. He was sick all year, trying to get over the sniffles and pneumonia and yeah. the flu and yada, yada, yada. That he has a massive heart attack and he's gone. Yeah, right. That's and, it. I, and I'm feeling like, already I'm feeling like shit going to the doctor. I, I found out that Mike Leach had died on my way to the doctor's appoint, uh, appointment to find out what's going on with me. And yeah. I just, I don't know, I 61 years old. Right. 61. Grant Wall was 49. Right. Just to turn 49. When I'm 15, ask me. Snap your fingers, he's done. When I'm 15, ask me about 61. Yeah. I would have thought, oh, that's a hell of a good life. At 15, right? But yeah. not at 48. No. <laughs> I'm not ready at 61, no. right? God. I mean, my father-in-law's in his 70s, and he's out oh. there building shit and living life, and 61 oh, is God, not it old. scares yeah. the living daylights out of me when I read these stories. Terrible. Awful. Yep. Just terrible. All right, three interviews. Mariners no table with Churchill and Slick. New Heisel on Mike Leach and the Seahawks no table. And then you and I on the other stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guess who's joining us? Well, typically, I would call him Jordan Flowers, J-Flow, 
of the Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage, but that's no longer correct, right, Jordan? That's right. We've officially moved and are in our new office space here in Woodenville, Washington, downtown, oh, right boy. next to our great partners at Zeke's Pizza. You got to go there three times a week for lunch. Now, how am I going to get used to saying the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage? How many times am I going to make that mistake? And how many times <laughs> am I going to hear from you? Mitch, you keep calling us the Kirkland office. I've got the over underline at plus or minus 10, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Interest rates have been a, a topic of conversation around the country, around the world. Kind of like butterflies these days. What are you seeing? Yeah, we, we've made it through this year's highs. We've been seeing rates coming down over the last month and a half. Uh, we are sitting still at elevated levels, but they are down a solid half to three quarters percent interest, getting back into the sixes. And with all of our buyers, we are working with them to get them into the three, four, five percent range right now. Speak to us specifically. How do you guys do that at Cross Country Mortgage? Yeah, it's a, it's a program that's come back into the market really. It's a temporary buy down option where we're working with the sellers, getting them the sales price that they've been coming on at and getting credits for our buyers to help temporarily buy that rate down for the first year, second year, third year to get that payment down until they're ready to refinance into a long-term 30-year fix at that no rate. And before we finish up, I got to say thank you from all of our listeners. I think everybody knows by now that Jordan Flowers of Cross Country Mortgage gave away, I think close to 100, maybe a little less, tickets to Mitch Unfiltered fans for the stretch run of the Seattle Mariners season. That was incredibly kind of you, and it was great to get some unfiltered listeners who wouldn't ordinarily be at the last homestand to be there with you and Cross Country Mortgage. Mitch, that was so fun to do and partner with you on. And you're texting me like, email these people tickets, do this. Why haven't you emailed these people yet? It was like, it was just chaos. It was a frenzy. It was so fun to be a part of with that. So thank you for everybody for participating in that. And next year, we'll do more and they'll go further. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Jordan Flowers now of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Reach him directly. 425-890-2957. What a great partner. What a great sponsor for years now of Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to be joined again by Fireside Home Solutions owner, John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Great to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours, too. And it's that time of the year for you guys, J-Dub. Stretch run in the NFL. We love it. Bowl games and new fireplaces from Fireside Home Solutions. Yes, and when we look outside, we see that snow already. And so we're ready to help you out. And we have great deals going on right now in our showrooms. And we want to keep you warm and cozy when those snowstorms come. We did our outdoor unit with Fireside. And while the fireplace itself came out beautifully, there are lots of places, as you know, that do lovely setups. But it was the experience that was really impressive. Your team came out to the house strategized with us. We came to your Bellevue showroom, which is crazy nice. Really, it's the process that sets Fireside apart. Talk about the steps that we go through this winter to get a new fireplace. Well, we want that to be a great buying experience. Like we said, we always are here to get the best brands for you, but our belief is we need to come out and consult. We need to make sure that we measure up your fireplace, make sure that insert or fireplace is the right one for you, but also that make sure that the installation is going to work. So when we're out there for installing, you're enjoying that fireplace once we're done. From soup to nuts and garage doors too. How's that arm of your business doing, John? It's doing great. That cold weather is starting to uh, make those garage doors creak or mm -hmm. broken springs, but we have a service 
service department that can help you out. Or if you just need a new garage door, please call us and we'll be right out there and we'll get that replaced for you. Fireside Home Solutions has just been great. John's been great. Title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition for a third consecutive year. And just overall, a terrific partner that makes Mitch Unfiltered possible. Start your fireplace search and end your fireplace search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Wong hits it out to deep right. Polanco back. It's back-to-back nights. Look it off, baby. Paul Wong wins it for St. Louis. We are very aware of what our future payrolls look like because the decisions you make today, and, and this is uh, this is more difficult for someone who's not looking more broadly. Now, the decisions you make today don't just affect your 2023 payroll, and, and you're not going to go from 115 million to 215 in, in a year. Well, it's been a while since we got the band back together again. Mariners and management's approach to spending this offseason has been a hot topic in these parts. So it's time for the Mariners note table. Jason Churchill, prospect insider, host of Baseball Things, the podcast. Slicky. Hey. To take his mind off of the disappointing Seahawks as they slip their way through the uh, the final few weeks of the uh, NFL season. Boys, Jason, couple of months removed from the disappointing postseason end to Houston. And we're all eager, or we were all eager to see what the next step was to bridge the gap and how that would be defined. Mitch Hanniger out, Eric Swanson out, Frazier out, Winker out, Kyle Lewis and others out. Teoscar Hernandez in, Colton Wong in. How about just before we go one by one through this, an overview on where you stand on how the Mariners and Jerry DePoto have approached the offseason. Yeah, they obviously haven't done enough yet. I, I agree with just about everybody who's like, they they need to do more if they're trying to win the division and and catch the, as tired as I am of, of hearing, oh, you have to catch the Astros because it doesn't work the way that, that people seem to think that it works. But if you do want to win the division, you have to finish ahead of everybody else in the division and they haven't done enough. The approach to the offseason, like, I've said all along since, since Jerry started this rebuild that I had serious doubts they would ever sign an elite contract, $250 million or more. And they still haven't done it. And I still have doubts that they're ever going to do it. And I just don't have a problem with it. I, I the, the idea here is to build a roster that wins, not build a roster that wins for one year and then hope you can do it the next year with a lot fewer resources. It's build rosters that can win you know, and, and I think one of the things that we're doing, one of the things that Mariner fans are doing right now is like they're thinking about 2023 and entirely ignoring 24, 25, 26. That doesn't mean that I don't think they should spend. I, I think the, the one way I look at this, guys, is I separate. Do, do we all think that John Stan and Chris Larson, that ownership group, should spend more money on their baseball team? 100% absolutely. I think the Mariners should be a top eight to 10 payroll. Any chance, anytime they're entering a season where they have a legitimate chance to do damage in the postseason, and and I think going right up to the luxury tax is a fair expectation, is a fair desire for fans, uh, and they're fifty million dollars away from that. So I have no issue though with 
the way Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander are approaching this offseason. Their situation is different than we would like it to be as baseball fans. We would like them to have unlimited funds or a lot closer to that. That's just not the case. So they have to think of things in windows, not just a one year. Hey, what can we possibly like? Let's do everything we can possibly do for 2020. That's just not the way that it works. I want to come back to that last remark that we want them to have unlimited funds, but that's just not the case. I'm going to push you on that in a second, but I'd like to get Slicky in here. Mariners fan forever. How do you feel like they've gone about business in the last couple of months? Well, they, they went about business very predictably in the last couple of months. It's been kind of what, I mean, Jerry DePoto, one thing about Jerry DePoto, he'll tell you, I mean, he's not one of these that he's going to hold a lot back or speak in, in, in code that's super hard to decipher. He's he'll tell you what they're going to do. And then, and then he pretty much does it. So he told, he told us that this is what was going to happen. Now, when I look at kind of each move in a vacuum, like I look at the, the, the Tasker Hernandez acquisition, I like that. Uh, it helps you improve. I think it's going to be nice for the outfield. You look at the Colton Juan acquisition. Obviously, you had to get better at second base, and you've done that. But then you look at the, at least to this date, the offseason as a whole, and it's very underwhelming considering what you're chasing and who who is ahead of you and how you need to get there to, to match level with them. Mm. Unlimited funds, Jason. They don't have unlimited funds. Well, we've gone through this on our podcast. I'm sure you have before. I think they're sitting at about $135 million in payroll for 2023. Their revenues in 2023, and this is a guess, but it's pretty close, are going to approach $400 million. $400 million. The franchise is now worth almost $2 billion and grows and grows and grows. There are a lot of people that are listening to this that are saying, oh, come on, you got to you gotta push Jason here, Mitch. They can go more than $135 million on a piece that's bringing in $400 million. They can go to mm-hmm. $170, $180. They don't have to be the Mets. They don't have to be the Dodgers. They don't have to be the Red Sox. But come on, they can do better than $135. Right, and, and the, the $135 you're using is 26-man payroll. If you look at their entire taxable number they're just under 180 which is the most they've ever spent so i'm not saying that they've gone far enough Uh, i'm saying when you look at the bigger picture you you, like i separate where i think the ownership should go versus what jerry and justin have to play with like they do not have 225 million dollars a year to play clearly they don't or they'd go out and they'd have been more aggressive on guys. They'd have been more aggressive on Nimmo, probably. They'd have been more aggressive on, I don't know that they'd have gone the shortstop route, but I still think they'd have been a little bit more aggressive on things. But when you know you don't have that kind of money and you have, you know, $30 million less than that, or, you know, maybe, maybe $600 million over the next three years is the three-year kind of payroll window that they're thinking about. Because it's my understanding that that's how they do it. They look at multiple year windows, they project revenue, and then they kind of toss a percentage range of the revenue toward payroll. But you're right. Should like, can they afford it? I always hate hearing that. Of course they can afford it. Every owner in sports can afford to spend far more on their sports teams. Uh, John Stan and Chris Larson, and that group over there can spend $300 million, $400 million a year. You talked about the revenue. It's been well over $300 million for the last three or four years. And that doesn't even include revenue sharing. They're getting a hundred million dollars in revenue. Of course they can afford it. Of course they have it. End of story. Like that's facts. 
Mm. The baseball people just don't have that though. So I, I just, I like to make sure that I separate that. Should the ownership do it? Do they have it? Can they afford it? 100%. There's no question there. And, and that's why I just don't talk about it that much because it's done and done. One plus one is two. They have it. They should do it. They don't. The front office, the baseball people just don't have that available to them. So they have a budget that they're trying to work with. And that's why I completely understand why they're going about it the way they are. So let's go through some of the individual decisions. Right field has changed. Everybody loved Mitch Hanniger, but everybody is clear that Mitch Hanniger can't get through a season anymore physically. And you've got to end up going to your depth on the bench. They've gone out and gotten Teoscar Hernandez. Last time we saw him, he had two home runs in a game against the Mariners in the postseason. So Hanniger's out in San Francisco. Hernandez is in in right field. Big difference, Slicky, and we'll come to you in a second, Jason, or modest improvement? Um, I mean, we talk about the position as a whole in terms of the time you didn't have Mitch Hanniger because of this injury, that injury, it's a significant improvement because now you're talking about the improvement over a replacement level player, right? Versus what you get out of Mitch Hanniger, at least for a, l- a large majority of the time. So I consider that a big improvement at the position as far as player versus player. You know, you're, you'll get similar offensive production. You probably get a few more home runs out of a, a 162 game healthy season in Mitch Haniger than you might out of Hernandez. But uh, I think he's going to be very productive. I think we'll, is if he's healthy, we'll be real happy with with what we're getting out of right field. Jason, where does he hit the lineup as of today? And what kind of a player do you think Hernandez is? 81 games a year at uh, T-Mobile Park. I know he was actually better over the three years last three years on the road than he was in Toronto. What what kind of a ball player did they get? Yeah, he's pretty neutral in terms of where he performs and you don't really have to worry about T-Mobile Park kind of eating them alive, which is something we had to worry about for the longest time at over there at Safeco and T-Mobile, especially with right-handed bats. The environment's a little better over there now. Yeah, it, it in terms of like the ability of the player and, and if you just kind of assume the same number of games played, there's not that big of a difference between Hanniger and, and Hernandez. They're essentially the same guy, at least offensively. I think Hernandez is a little bit better defensively, similar arms, but Hernandez is a guy that stays healthy. Like even in his down years, health wise, he's been a play 125, 130 games guy. Mitch Hanniger is apt to just miss more than have what he played 57 games last year. He has right. two full seasons guys in his entire career. So this isn't a guy you could rely on, and it's the risk. And here's what's going to happen. We just know this is going to happen. I know Mitch is going to have a full year in San Francisco <laughs> somehow, National like he did in 2021. National and Hernandez Star. will play 113 games. Yeah, and yeah. people are like, oh, my goodness. Well, you just can't predict these things. But <laughs> nobody argues right. that the risk is significantly higher with Hanniger to just not be available. And when when one of your top three or four hitters just isn't available, I mean, that hurts. I mean, he's been, what, their best hitter, their second best hitter the last couple of years? You know, he's not imagine that 2021 team that went in 90 games kind of surprised, uh, you know, most of us, I think them uh, playing as well as they imagine Hanniger missing 40 games on that team. Mm-hmm. That is that all of a sudden they're losing two wins right off the top because he's out 40 games because of the indirect value that his absence brings. You just got to keep guys healthy and, and availability was always going to be a big deal for Seattle this offseason. So I'm not surprised that we saw them essentially swap Hanniger for Hernandez. Is Hernandez the cleanup hitter at the moment? Is he the best cleanup hitter? They had Cal Raleigh hitting cleanup in the mm-hmm. postseason, which he hadn't tried during the regular year. Shows a little bit of desperation for somebody to put in that in that spot. Suarez, 
Hernandez, Raleigh. I I don't know how you guys think about this, but I'm a guy who I want my best hitters getting as many at-bats as possible. So I I think I'm going Julio and France and Hernandez in some order in the top three. Although I could see versus right-handers putting Colton Wong in the one or two spot and lengthening the lineup a little bit there with Hernandez and France going three, four in some order. Now people are going to be like, wait, Ty France. Like he was terrible. The second half of the season. That's it's true. He, he struggled down the stretch. He still had a pretty Ty France like season overall. And you make adjustments as the season starts. Like if he struggles and there's something wrong there, then you make an adjustment. But if he's the Ty France that we kind of expect, you can hit him in the two hole. You can hit Julio one. You can hit Wong one and then Julio two and France three and then put Teo in the four spot, followed by, you know, Raleigh and Suarez in some order, which kind of sounds fun to do. It's something that the Mariners were hoping to do last year with a healthy Mitch Hanniger, and it just didn't happen. Uh, but Colton Wong coming out and, and performing because Adam Frazier didn't. And one of the things that we all want to do is go, well, we thought Adam Frazier was going to do X and he did. That's what I was my next question. Yes. And it's a good question and I get it. And it's possible. There are no guarantees that Hernandez and, and Wong are going to come out and just be who we always expected them to be. That's always a risk going into every season, but that's always a risk. That's even a risk with Julio. I think some folks are expecting Julio to just go out and be an MVP now. And there's this thing called the sophomore slump. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to him, but we just don't know. We don't know how the league is going to react. We don't know how he's going to react. It just happens. But the difference between Colton Wong and Adam Frazier is Colton Wong's norm is to be average or better. Adam Frazier only had two such seasons in his entire career. And Seattle was just hoping to tag along to the back end of it. And it didn't happen. There's a pretty big difference between those two similar age, similar, you know, general abilities, but Wong's a different guy does have a little bit more power. So I would buy him, you know, putting up at least an average season a little bit more than I would have Frazier a year ago that there's a little less of that, uh, the H word in there where you're kind of hoping that, that you catch on and, and, and you kind of capture lightning in a bottle. Colton Wong is hit. He's been an average or better hitter. He's put up the 110 WRC plus, you know, three, four times in his career and put up a 116 last year, which by the way, oddly is the same mark put up by Dansby Swanson, who's about to get $200 million from like the Cubs or somebody. And people are kind of downplaying the Colton Wong. Like if he does what he did last year, anywhere near, it's a huge get at second base for Seattle. Slicky, are you more or less or the same excited about Wong right now as you were, if you could remember how you felt when they signed Frazier a year ago right now. I'd say I'm, I'm about the same. Uh, I actually really liked the Frazier acquisition at the time. Uh, I thought it was going to be a good solution. And so obviously it, that didn't work out. I think uh, like Jason talks about just a little more track record with, with Colton Wong actually being successful. So, you know, it's, I consider it to be an upgrade at the position, which has me excited because any chance we get to upgrade this offense have to absolutely take that. So, so yeah, um, about the same, about the same as when uh, they acquired Adam Frazier. What's the next thing to drop for the Mariners offseason? I I fully expected them to move Flexen or move Gonzalez. Everybody's looking for pitching. Here they have a piece, a couple of pieces that might be able to fit into the middle of somebody's rotation, just not the Mariners. It may be more valuable to somebody else than the Mariners. I'm still wondering what's going to happen in left field, Jason Churchill. Is it Jared Kelnick? Is it Dylan Moore? Who is it that's in left field at the moment? So maybe those two things go hand in hand with one another. Yes? 
Yeah, it sounds to me like their default here is, hey, if we can't get the bigger upgrade, the Michael Conforto, you know, would probably, got, I think, be the best uh, sort of everyday option out there in terms of, you know, what he's done over the course of his career. One of the better hitters in the draft uh, nine years ago and Seattle had a chance at him and passed on him, but he has that track record. He was out all year last year. I think that's the thing that's holding up Conforto's market, but he would make sense in Seattle and, and he can play some left field. You don't have to DH him a ton, but he could be part of that rotation. But I think we're hearing Jared Kelnick and a right-handed kind of timeshare partner. I, I'm trying not to use the platoon word here, but essentially that's what it would be. You know, Kelnick versus righties for the most part, and a Will Myers or an AJ Pollock type player. Uh, we've heard Tyler O'Neill attached to that conversation um, facing mostly lefties. And if one of them just starts hitting everything, you know, like the, the right-handed part starts hitting righties too, or Kelnick starts hitting lefties too, and kind of earns the spot. Great. We give two guys a spot to earn, you know, more time. And that's good for us. I think that's what's going on. They're kind of waiting for that market to develop. And, and it really hasn't yet. And really the same goes for that, that uh, the rotation spot, that is a, a very underrated spot. The Mariners could, uh, could upgrade that. That's a guy who's going to make that spot. Anyway, that fifth spot in the rotation is going to make at least 25 starts for you and throw what roughly 150 innings or so. Uh, if they can go out and get an average starting pitcher, that looks like an upgrade compared to what Flexen and Marco Gonzalez have given them, you know, over the last couple of days. I mean, you know, Flexen was a three win guy two years ago. Nobody projects him to do that again. And one of those guys probably has to go if you make that starting pitcher ad. And I don't think you have to sit around and wait and, and prioritize things and get offense. I think the starting pitcher could be the next thing they do because that market seems to be moving a little bit faster. But Jason, so are you saying we might see a Marco for Tyler O'Neill switch back? <laughs> <laughs> it would be really, really strange to see. I guess technically it's possible. I'd be surprised if, uh, uh, if Marco went back to St. Louis, I think there was uh, a relationship issue between player yeah. and team there. But yeah, I, I, it's interesting to hear all the play. And obviously the, the big name on the trade market that Seattle's connected to is Brian Reynolds. Uh, I've been very clear in my doubts that Seattle can be the high bidder for Brian Reynolds, because if you're Pittsburgh, you're just looking for certain things. And I'm just not sure that Seattle can match up. Long story short, their organizational uh, organizational weakness is clearly young pitching and you're not trading George Kirby or Logan Gilbert for those guys. You just don't have enough in your system, but maybe they can overwhelm them with bulk and, and give them like four of their top seven prospects and bring Brian Reynolds in who solves just about every problem you have in your lineup balanced lefty and he's a switch hitter. So lefty righty hand in this balance is there. He's a pretty good defender in the corner. He's an above average runner. He's young. He's right in his prime. You have far less injury concern, far less performance risk there. Like he's legit. Like if you can get him, he's, he's a better get, you know, in a vacuum than even a Michael Conforto or even a Brandon Nimmo would be, you know, at the way cost. But if you're just talking about the raw acquisition, Reynolds would be better than Nimmo considering their age and where they are in their careers. It sounds like to me that Jerry DePoto or seems like Jerry DePoto is waiting for the end to weave his bullpen magic that maybe he's getting everything else out of the way. He, uh, he sent Eric Swanson, who remains a mystery to me. I don't get it. He was their best or one of their best relievers the whole season. And then when chips were down, they did everything but use Eric Swanson. I, don't, I still don't understand that. Where's the bullpen, Slicky, in your mind right now? And are we concerned about how the bullpen didn't perform 
in the last two weeks of the season and then into the postseason. Something happened in that bullpen, which was great. Yeah. Was average or worse than average? I think just, uh, you know, the usage that they've had over the last two seasons now, I think they ran out of gas, man. <laughs> you know, and so you, you were talking a little about what, what's next for Jerry and then this offseason. I, I think that you know, their next big acquisition will probably be, you know, one more kind of bigger bullpen arm, a higher leverage bullpen arm. I, I think that they'll add somebody and then kind of a middle tier guy. I, I think it's important that they got Casey Sadler back and hopefully he can be healthy and and they can work him back in. But so I think they're going to be a couple of moves before all is said and done with the bullpen. But largely uh, you're going to see the same guys. I think you're still going to see Paul Seawald. You're obviously going to see Andres Munoz, you know, for a while. Uh, guys like that, Penn Murphy. I, I think most of the the faces and names that you've seen this last year, you're going to keep seeing. I think we're going to see a lot more Matt Brash, too. I know that Jerry DePoto made some comments that he might open the, the spring and they might stretch him out a little bit to give them an option in the rotation, which, you know, sure, it makes sense. But I, I think he's a reliever for at least the 2023 season, and he might end up being their best reliever. Uh, the way he ended the season and you look at the stuff that he brings to the table, uh, trying to add a cutter this winter. Uh, which essentially improves the value on his fastball um, because it is a little true and and can get hit and it forces him to throw the breaking balls a lot. They do need at least one more guy. And, and the one thing that I'm a little, I don't want to say worried about, but I keep thinking about going back to the well in the bullpen too many times with the same group. It's really never worked well for clubs, uh, at least in modern baseball, to go back to the Paul Seawald well three, four years in a row and expect him to be as good when everything else doesn't tell you you should be fine. Because there are a lot of reasons why we should not be okay with Paul Seawald being one of their best two relievers. Uh, even though numbers-wise, just strictly on numbers, he's been fine. We've seen signs that maybe he should be more of a, a seventh-inning type, not necessarily somebody you throw in when the game's on the line on a consistent basis. Diego Castillo cannot be relied upon at all, and the Mariners are going to pay him $3 million in 2023. So they're obviously going down that well again. And if they don't fix him, they have two problems in that bullpen. One, that they need to fill a spot, and two, Diego Castillo. And I don't know what Trevor Gott's going to be, but I certainly don't expect him to be this, you know, this high leverage late game, you know, put it on his shoulders at the end kind of guy. I expect him to be a little bit more like a Penn Murphy or a Matt Festa last year. And I just don't know where else they're going to get this. There, there actually are not a lot of guys on the free agent market right now that make tons of sense for Seattle. So it almost seems to me like they're thinking about this mostly internally, like, Hey, we're just going to turn this guy from our system. We're going to just going to turn him loose. He's going to be what Matt Brash did. And then some a year ago, he's going to be Matt Festa and, and Penn Murphy from a year ago. And, and that's fine. I mean, they know more about this than, than I do, but I, that's risky to me. I, I think they should go out and, and get a, a reliever or two. And they're kind of running out of options. I mean, Chad Green is out there. Will Smith is out there. There's some guys out there they can go get. And I understand they don't want to spend tons of tons of money on that spot because they want to spend it on the starter. They want to spend it on on bats. But if they enter the season as is, I think it's a mistake. I think it puts a lot of pressure on the on the in-house options and it will dry up all free agent options and force them to go the trade route for their bullpen. But the one thing Jerry DePoto has always been good at 
as a general manager, as an executive in major league baseball is building bullpens, sometimes on the fly, sometimes over the winter, they've always been able to figure it out going all the way back to his days with the angels when they actually traded for Houston street and Trevor got in the same deal back in, uh, I don't know, what was that? 2012, 2013, when they won 98 games. So while I trust them, they know what they're doing here. I look at that group and I, I go, yeah, they need, they need some, they need some arms there. The, the bullpen is pretty important these days. We see that, at, you know, during the regular season, we've seen that the last couple of years with the Mariners, how important the bullpen's been. It's been big for them. It's been important for them. Maybe their most important group, maybe they're relying on not just in-house relief options, but the fact that they're going to have Luis Castillo for the entire season, that George Kirby is going to be available to them for the entire season. Then their plan to potentially upgrade that number five spot, taking some pressure off the bullpen and not having to use them as much. So that certainly could be part of their plan. Let's end the, uh, this version of the Mariners no table with a couple of predictions. <laughs> Why? Pain. Pain is my prediction. <laughs> Mitchie can never quite get rid of the predictions. No. I'm assuming that all of us are in agreement that the opening day starter for the Seattle Mariners, barring any kind of injury, will be Luis Castillo. Who's going to pitch... In game two, do they go to the left-hander in the rotation? Yep, that'd be my bet. Or that would be my bet. Or do they go to the one of the young studs in the rotation? And the second prediction, which is my favorite, is <laughs> I want some numbers, some season numbers on that left-hander. I want to know what to expect <laughs> over <laughs> 30 starts. Come I on. want to know. Is it a bounce-back year? Is it a continuation of the disastrous end to last year. I do recall during their 14-15 whatever game winning streak going in the All-Star break, the single biggest reason might have been Robbie Ray. He he was lights out for about a three or four week stretch there. I don't remember how many starts, but then we all saw famously or infamously what happened at the end of the season. So, Jason's already spoken to the first question. Slicky, who's the game two starter? George Kirby. Right. George Kirby. All right. And now pin the numbers on the pitcher. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. 30 starts, assuming hell, 32 starts. Yeah. Slicky, you go first. Give me some numbers. All right. How many wins? How many? Give me yeah. the RA. You know, I, I don't do the advanced metrics, so you got to... You no, don't play, play don't with, worry. You won't you won't me. get any of that out of me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh Robbie Ray, 15 wins. And I'm gonna say a three, a 3.75 ERA. So Next. worse than last year. Slightly worse than last year on ERA. Cause I think because I think he's pro, more gonna be more prone to the blow when he blows up, it's gonna inflate the ERA. I think he's gonna have less games where he blows up though. Uh, I think a little bit better. Uh, I think when they brought him over after the four win Cy Young season, expecting that was always a little bit much. And they didn't pay him to be that guy anyway. They gave him 23 million over five years. They paid him to be essentially a light number two. And I, and I think he can still do that. I'd say somewhere around a three, five ERA. So a little better than last year. He was 371 last year. I think some of those advanced metrics that, uh, that we're not supposed to bring up really. No, uh, no, su no, no, suggest no, no, that that's no, no. probably who he no, no, I know. No. <laughs> uh, suggest I said, that that's I said I'm not gonna ask is. about him because I don't know anything <laughs> about him. That doesn't mean you can't bring him up. 
Certainly. Uh, yeah, a lot of his, a lot of some of the runs allowed metrics beyond ERA suggest that he was a little bit better last year than than the ERA would suggest. Not a lot, okay, but a little bit. Okay, and you know, I, I think he's had two straight seasons where he has made thirty two starts each year and gone around one hundred and ninety innings. So I don't think there's any reason to expect anything less than that. I do think there there might be situations though. So if I were betting an over under on innings, I would certainly bet I would bet under 185 because I I think Seattle and learning about Robbie Ray last year, uh, and maybe as they start this year, they'll be thinking about this and considering this sort of a thing, is you know like when is it time to pull him, uh, and and against who should he should they pull that you know Ray a little earlier and not let him start the inning instead of letting him get in trouble. Uh, so I think he'll probably end up around 180 innings and, and, and around a three, five year eight wins wise. I mean, man, you know, if that bullpen isn't as good, you know, they're not going to preserve the wins. Uh, but I do believe in the offense a little more. So 12, 13 wins, maybe 14. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it wins are really, really yeah, difficult yeah, to predict. Yeah, yeah. Slicky. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good time. I missed it. I was dri- Thursday night. I was driving, uh, driving to the Seahawks game and we're, went right past T-Mobile park. And I got a little sad. I was like, wow, it's really been two months. So, so this was good to get everybody together and, uh, and talk some Mariners baseball. I love it. Spring training yeah, isn't too far months. off. Jason Churchill, baseball things, the podcast, listen to it. A prospect insider. Thank you, Jason. As always. I hey, appreciate it guys. Thanks. Hey, look who I found. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning for Evergreen Golf Call, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Katie, how's everyone doing over there at, at Evergreen? We're doing very well, Mitch. How are you? Uh, very well. I'll have you know. Everyone knows by now. Mitch went three for three last time. I'm expecting that the streak is going to continue. Do we have a theme today? Yes. Yeah, so theme today, we're doing an economic update. So I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, the Evergreen Exchange. Yep. It's a bi-weekly podcast that we put out. It discusses investing, the economy, and other financial planning topics. So for those who are interested in learning more, you can find the Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen to podcasts. Which is also produced by our producer, Steve. So I'm ready for question number one, Katie. Go. Okay. So the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates in 2022 to slow down the economy and fight inflation. Has this year had the quickest increase in rates in 40 years? Is that true or false yeah i think it's true i think i read something about 40 years i'll say true katie that's right we've had the fastest tightening cycle this year the second fastest was in 1995-1996 we find that the fed really tends to overcorrect when they're during these tightening cycles and that has pushed us into recessions historically we're expecting them to increase rates two more times here in 2022 and so that's part of the reason why the markets are down so substantially with stocks and bonds both down about 20 percent and now i'm on a four question streak let's make it five question number two All right. Since 1950, there's been 14 Fed hiking cycles where they increase interest rates. How many of these 14 cycles have ended in a recession? Is it six, nine, 11 or 14? Would be a total guess. I can't believe it's 14 and I'm sure six is way too low. I'll go 11. I'll go C, Katie. That's right. You got that one right. Yes. (laughs) 
Typically what the Fed is trying to do when they increase interest rates is to have a soft landing to ease the economy, to slow it down, but not slow it down too much. And historically, they have not been very successful in doing so. Oh, my God. I'm five for my last five. Shall we quit now or do we go to a question three, Katie? We'll see. This one's a tough one. Okay. Interest rates have increased dramatically this year, which has really shifted the income markets. So in October of 2021, a year ago, a two-year treasury bond was yielding 0.5%. So today, what is that yield? Is it 2.5%, 3.5%, 4%, or 4.5%? Ooh, 3.5%, stab in the dark. So you didn't quite get that one right. It's actually D, four and a half percent. I tried to trick you with that one by putting it on the end there. It's been a huge amount of income pickup over the last year from 0.5% to four and a half percent for these bonds. So we're finding a lot more opportunities in the income markets versus what we saw a year ago. So while we think there will be continued volatility in the stock market, we're finding a lot of more opportunities to increase income. For those that are interested in learning more about this, how we're positioning portfolio, I'd recommend listening to our most recent podcast and checking out our website at evergreengk.com. And of course, the Evergreen Exchange every other week from Evergreen Golf Call, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and everything wealth. Unfiltered. You know, don't take so long to come back. And then, uh, but just outstanding uh, job by our crowd. Our crowd's incredible. Well, how are you going to celebrate this one? I'm not sure. I kind of sort that when I get out. I'll see where uh, see where this pile of people's headed, I guess. Go alone. Because uh, basically every female in the family is going to terrorize you guys until it's over. Once it's over, I mean, they'll be upset for a few days, but it'll be over. And then, you know, you cruise away. Uh, along have a happy marriage have a happy life episode 219 and my intention was to give new heisel a break from me for a couple of weeks before we hone in on the bowl games and the national championship picture but with the heartbreaking news in the college football world it was important to hear from our former coach many times over cbs football analyst Presented by Taco Time Northwest and its incredible 60 years of service. How are you, Rick Neuheisel? I am wonderful. Uh, I am saddened by the news, as you are, and all of us who love college football, by the news that Mike Leach has passed. But uh, I'm forever grateful, I guess is the way to say it, that I got to know him and I have my good share of Mike Leach stories. Well, share some of them with us. I was wondering, I mean, you're about the same age. I think you're a right. little, little. No, we're actually the same year. Same, same year. We're both 61. Both 61. Uh, or, yep. And I was one of the first guys Mike called when he became a head coach. Oh, really? He uh, got the Texas Tech job. He was a Hal Mummy disciple. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was with Hal Mummy at Kentucky. And I should even go further back. You know, Mike Leach went to BYU and went to Pepperdine Law School had this fascination with football. He was a rugby player, never played football, but was a rugby player. And he went to the home of Lyle Sentencich. Now, Lyle was the head coach at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Had a good program. And Mike Leach kind of in his mind 
fascinated as he would become fascinated with topics like Geronimo and insurgent warfare. And, and it became fascinated with football. And so drove to the home of Lionel Sanchez and knocked on the door and said, Lyle, I've got the perfect football play. And he had drawn it up. He says, I know you're an expert on this stuff, but I just wanted your thoughts because I think it's an indefensible play. He gave it to him and Lyle looked at it, perused it, looked at it again and said, I agree. It has all the great characteristics of perfect football, except you've got 12 players. <laughs> <laughs> and Leach, Leach was, Leach was uh, embarrassed. He looked at it, did some scribbling yeah. and then tried to give a, a corrected version of it. Oh. And Lyle laughed and the two became friends and, and he got on Lyle's staff. That's where he began his sojourn into the world of college football. Well, it would lead to how mummy, how mummy hires him at Kentucky. And now the, the offense is doing so well that Bob Stoops, who had been the defensive coordinator for Florida, having already done that for Kansas state uh, and Bill Snyder it was with Florida and Steve Spurrier got the Oklahoma job. And when he got the Oklahoma job, he then said, the hardest offense I had to get ready for while at Florida was this Kentucky offense, the air raid, right? So he called Hal Mummy and said, is Mike Leach ready to be a coordinator? He said, absolutely. He'd be great in front of people. They'd find him fascinating because he talks on, you know, the breadth of topics. So Bobby Stoops hired him. We had Bobby Stoops on our radio program the other day and said, I learned early on that you could never get in a conversation with Mike Leach at 11 p.m. Because he'd always be at the <laughs> office at 11 p.m. Because you were locked in till 2 a.m. Oh. And you just, he just said, Mike, I'm the head coach. I'm going home. I'm not having this conversation on all the different topics, whether it be pirates yes. or Vikings yes. or what have you. Yeah. So Leach has a brilliant first year as the coordinator uh, there at uh, Oklahoma and gets the Texas Tech job. And that's where I enter the picture. Okay. Because now as the new head coach at Texas Tech, he says, who can I call amongst the current sitting Big 12 coaches that would understand that I don't know exactly what the dress code might be at the Big 12 media oh, days okay. and, the, and the Big 12 coaches meetings? So he calls me. I'm the youngest one of them. So he, he feels less embarrassment about asking such a question yeah. to me. And so we became friends. I said, well, here's what you wear. He goes, how about a coat? Do I have to have a coat? You know, and he would go on and on about dress codes, right? Bill Moose came on our show the, the same day and talked about flying to Key West yeah. to hire him yeah. as the, uh, the new Washington State head coach. And Mike had been out. And so they agree that they're going to be casual. And so Mike comes to the hotel where... Bill had traveled and stayed and Bill had all the drawings of the new facilities that were going to be around Martin stadium and how this program was going to just flourish, especially with his leadership and a knocks at the door and he opens and in flip flops and cargo shorts and a ripped t-shirt was the great Mike Leach holding a styrofoam cup of coffee, which was his uniform. Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. I mean, even the last look, on, his, on the sideline as Mississippi State's coach, it just said state, right? Uh, it was it was just like Belushi-esque. Uh, and Bill's idea of casual was he just took off his tie. Yeah. He had his sport, his suit on and the whole deal. Yeah. And Leach looked at him with his coffee and said, I thought we said casual. He said, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> and 
the great Mike Leach wow. did such a good job at Texas Tech, such a good job at Washington State, taking both those programs to heights not realized previous, and then was on his way at Mississippi State. And I was amongst the the doubters, whether or not that offense would work in an SEC where the four defensive linemen against your five offensive linemen might have been a mismatch. I thought the four defensive linemen in the SEC were going to be too much for the five offensive linemen in the air raid offense because his offense was not about running the ball. It was about distributing the ball evenly amongst the five eligible receivers. Mm-hmm. And that became the question. He got eight wins this last year, finally won an Egg Bowl. But here's the last communication I had with the great Mike Leach. Okay. And he and I had been on different junkets together and so forth. As a matter of fact, one of my great regrets was that I was not on the airplane that had Mike Leach, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, and then a couple other uh, Pac-12 coaches. Dennis Erickson was on that one. I was on the other plane with Jim Harbaugh and Mike Riley, the teetotalers of of the group. That plane got landed, and I looked at these guys as they got poured off the uh, G4 or whatever it was, and I'm going, we got the bad end of that deal because that looked like fun, and I would have had five hours with Leach at his absolute best. But this summer, Mitch, I get a text on my phone from Mike Leach, and he says, Tell me about being the football consultant on Point Break. And I said, how did you know I was the football consultant on Point Break? He said, I just stayed up late because he was a, he always stayed up late. Yeah. And I saw and I saw the credits and there's your name. Football consultant. It's right after the caterer. If you ever want to watch <laughs> the credits, it's right after the caterer. And I said, well, the director of that movie had asked that I teach Keanu Reeves, how to throw a football. And this is all going back via fourth text. Okay. And he's, and he keeps asking more questions. What about Patrick Swayze? What about this guy, (laughs) Gary Busey? I never missed a Gary Busey movie. And I'm like going back and forth, trying to explain all this. And he, it, this text stream lasted literally two and a half hours of him prodding me more information. I said, maybe you should just give me a call. He says, well, I can't talk right now. I'm in this other deal, but I'm not interested in it, but I want to keep texting. And it was classic leech. I think he would be absolutely blown away at the impact that he's had on college football and the way people are remembering him for all of his quirkiness and his, uh, different way of doing things. But I think it's really fun that, and I think he would be honored that so many people have such nice memories of him. I have questions. Sure. You talk about the quirky personality. We all knew it well and interviews. And there was the air raid offense, which you mentioned the two things that are most connected with Mike, the personality and the air raid offense to most of us, who don't know the ins and outs of the air raid, it just means he likes to throw the ball a lot. How about giving us kind of a coach's closer look and description of what the air raid really is and was? I'm holding up a scorecard here as you and I do this on Zoom. Okay, That was about what his offensive playbook was. It could fit on that. There were seven concepts and they would be practiced over and over and over and over again. The idea through repetition 
you would find all the nuance in any defense that could be presented. And if they were going to blitz us, then we had screens to take advantage of that screens and what they call a mesh play, which is the two inside receivers in a two by two, meaning two receivers to each side would cross and you'd get a picking effect. And so, so there, therefore man to man coverage would become really difficult to play against us, whether it be the screen or this mesh concept, but any zone, these seven concepts will work somewhere in there as long as everybody learns the nuance of it, both quarterback and receiver, and the nonverbal communication being more important than the verbal communication. So just doing it over and over again so people would know how to slow down, throttle in zones, how to expand, how to throw people open in different plays. They had a, a day, Mitch, I actually was on campus in Pullman uh, working for the Pac-12 network. They called it a six day. And I'm just assuming it was the sixth of the seven concepts. The sixth day was nothing but four verticals all day long. They had no other pattern. They would play the same play every down of practice, which was somewhere in the 50s to 75 plays. And the receivers running the same route had to figure out how to nuance it to get open, to catch something on the back shoulder, to throttle down, to go accelerate and by virtue of this repetition, mm -hmm. you would find answers. And that was his whole premise. There was no need to expand the offense. There was plenty because it worked from sideline to sideline, 53 and a third, yep. and it went vertical. You would take shots. And he abhorred, absolutely abhorred the idea that you had to do anything else. He would fight it. And when kids would, and he had a running game. I mean, it was basically when you just decided to back up, I'm going to take the free yards you're giving me, even though I don't like it. He had the, his last quarterback uh, was Will Rogers, the kid at Mississippi state. Now Will got into a game against Alabama. They're getting beat badly. I think it was in year one of uh, Mike's tenure there at uh, Mississippi state. And Will checks to a couple of runs because the defense is giving it to him. And it was basically against two man, which two safeties and everybody's playing man, what we call under, because they don't have to worry about things over the top because they got safety help. So they all get into the tailpipe of the receivers and run. And Mike was telling him, don't check to run against that. We can hit this pass. You just have to learn how to throw it. Remember, he, the, the defender can't see the ball. So you go ahead and throw it. And he says, and by the way, don't chicken out against these sons of guns. <laughs> And, and enough of that run BS. He didn't use the term BS. He actually said the full word. Right. He said enough of this run BS, which right. is how he felt about it. We're just going to distribute. Balanced offense does not mean 50-50 run pass. Balanced off mean, offense means 20% to every receiver on the field. So the overall success is unmistakable in terms of flipping struggling left for dead programs into Correct. win into winners that went to bowl games. It's unquestioned. You look at his record. He just did nothing but do that successfully. Two questions pop into my mind. See if you can remember them. I'll throw them at you at the same time. Number one, did this air raid offense allow coaches the opportunity to win with lesser talent with two and three star recruits, was that the glory of the air raid and the reason he was able to do what we just talked about? That's number one. Got it. And number two is he never got the chance 
to take over a bigger program that, let's say, was in the middle or higher part of its conference and try to flip that in to a national championship contender. So my question about that is why? Is it personality that maybe didn't mix with the the hierarchy? Or, Or was the air raid considered by teams with all the high school All-Americans a bad fit? Let's start with uh, the two- and three-star athletes. Yes. I think absolutely it was the origin of the air raid because not every high school team could have five great offensive linemen. So you couldn't run Green Bay Packers sweep. So the Green Bay Packers sweep became a bubble screen an ability to throw to your slot receiver who just backs up a little bit and you throw it out in front of him. And that's how we get the ball to the sideline rather than getting fuzzy Thurston and Jerry Kramer out, you know, leading (laughs) for Donnie Anderson or uh, Jim Grabowski or Paul Horning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's no question the lesser athlete piece of that became it. And the size of your receivers, that five, eight, 140 pound receiver in sure, high school sure. who was quicker than anybody right. now can play out in space okay. in, inside. He's going to be in more trouble. So there's no question that the lesser athlete piece of that played itself into that question two was would Mike Leach have fit in a major metropolitan area where they got five-star recruits and all that stuff? The answer is yes. But his quirkiness fits so beautifully in these outpost locations. He was the grand marshal of the lentil parade <laughs> in Pullman. I mean, think that through. He was the grand marshal. He uh, wanted he, and he and he would and he studied lentil. I mean, lentils and 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 knew everything there was to know about him. Uh, so there was no question that he realized that of himself, that there was something about these little environments where he could ride his bike, right? His, his favorite place to be on the planet was Key West. And there's a bar there called Captain Tony's that has an, his name on one of the bar stools. That's where he went. He'd sit down there. And if you wanted to pick up a conversation about any of the topics that we've discussed already, he would be happy to talk. But you're inferring that his personality that, that, he didn't, that he didn't want the big job. But my question to you is, with but all he the, was going to take the Tennessee job. He was going to take the Tennessee job. Why didn't more big time national? Because champion- they because they felt like they're the running the football was a key. A key yeah. And a he, key. Didn't do it. he wasn't ever going to go that way. He they thought you have to exert your will yeah. running and defending the run is the is the cornerstone of winning football. And if we can get five stars, why in the heck would we not want to do that? No one wanted to buy in to this notion of just five and receivers catching balls over and over and over again at a place where you could win without doing it. That that was the key. Not only for the offense, but also for the defense to be against a team that's going to challenge you running the football. Rick, did Mike Leach get a raw deal and an unfair black mark on his reputation for player treatment with the whole Texas Tech thing and um, Craig James's son, that whole yeah. stink? Well, Mike Leach was certainly 
a guy that would try to pressure kids into doing what he thought they were capable of doing. We all as coaches try to, you know, compel the kind of behaviors we'd like to see. And sometimes people call that uh, school of hard knocks or, you know, uh, I'm going to be aggressive coaches or, you know, I'm trying to get the best out of you and old school coaching, whatever you call the techniques. He, he had that in his DNA. And that was what was going on with Craig James's son. He had a concussion and they were said, you can't have bright lights. He had the sunglasses on and he was, he said, okay, so, well, we'll go have you sit inside this little shed. There'll be no sunlight there. And he took it to an extreme. He, and Craig James thought it was excessive and right. the brouhaha right. resulted. But overall, most, most people love Mike Leach. There's no question about it, but there were some, differences uh with players we saw that with craig james's son we saw that recently with the, yes. the running back at yes. mississippi state who in his announcement that he was leaving normally it's full of you know thank you for everything and i've had a wonderful time but he in this deal took a little shot at coach leach by saying hey and by the way since i'm not very tough and not very, uh, yeah. you know, dedicated. Right. Uh, it's probably best I leave anyway. Which yeah. were shots that might try to coerce him to stay. There, there was some tough love in the Mike Leach way of doing things. There's clearly going to be a dark cloud over a great time of year, the bowl season, with the loss of Mike Leach. It's just hard to get your arms around the fact that he's gone at age 61. Rick. Yeah, way too early, way too early. But again, I, I think he would be. Very fascinated and overwhelmed by the the way he's being remembered and the, the amount of people that have a favorite Mike Leach story. Let's ramp up the bull talk next week, okay? Can't wait. We've got Washington and Texas. I'm waiting to see whether the Texas running backs are going to play in that game or they're going to go straight to the NFL draft. Uh, there's lots to... Uh, Lots to unfold and unpack with the bowl season just about upon us. Rick Neuheisel, great to us, brought to you by Taco Time Northwest on his memories of Mike Leach. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, buddy. See you now. Happy holidays. You know, there's nothing quite like the holiday season at Daniel's Broiler. And here's my friend, CEO Lindsey Schwartz. And if you can take your mind off of USC football for just a half second, can you tell us how everything's going? You bet, Mitch. I'll take my mind off it for a couple of minutes for you. <laughs> we love the holidays. You know we love the holidays. I, it feels like Daniels was just built for the holidays. I know you've celebrated Thanksgiving yep. at Daniels with the family. It just kind of kicks off on Thanksgiving and rolls all the way through to New Year's Eve. All four restaurants are going to be really busy. We already are pretty well booked up. You know, it's fun in the bars. It's fun in the dining rooms. It's fun in the private dining rooms. It's it's, uh, it's going to be a great month at all four restaurants. The Huskies are good. The Seahawks are good. Football is good. And the best bus boy at the Bellevue location, Max Levy, came home the other night and said, you're not going to believe this. They finally put TVs at Daniel's Bellevue. Now, how is it possible for 35 years I haven't been able to watch a football game in the bar area at Daniel's Bellevue? Is that possible? Is that true? I mean, as ridiculous as it, as it sounds to hear you say it, it's partially true. You've been able to watch in Prime 21, which is kind of the back bar there. It's always had a couple of TVs. There have not been TVs in the main bar until we just completed this remodel and put them in. And, and I know that sounds bizarre, but the reason is, as you know, 
we've got the piano there. We've got the great piano bar. We've got Jim Washburn, who's been with us over 30 years. He's the star of the show, and he's the reason people come to the bar. So we didn't want to have anything competing. Hold on a second. What nights does Jim Washburn sing and play? At Daniel's Bellevue. So he used to, he actually, <laughs> back in the day, he used to be there five nights a week, three or four nights a week now. But yeah, back in the day, he, he was he was almost always there. But I know what you're going to say. Do he you never not, played on Mondays. Okay, do you, and, not, do you not know <laughs> that there actually is football on Mondays? You know what, Mitch? Better late than never is what I like to say. So uh, you got, now for the rest of your life, you can watch Monday Night Football at Daniel's Bellevue. I, I want to know what the boss is ordering and what the boss's family is ordering. In fact, I want to know how often you have dinner at one of the four lovely locations of Daniel's Broiler and what you're ordering these days. Well, I'm probably there once a week, not always for dinner, maybe yeah. sometimes for appetizer and a, yeah. and a drink, you know, but I'm an eight ounce filet mignon guy. I have been for a long time. Piedmontese is, is one of the varieties that we do, and I like that one a lot. My wife loves the fresh salmon. My kids, who are teenagers now, still eat like they did when they were <laughs> when they were little kids. They still get the, uh, they love the popcorn oh, shrimp. They love the steak strips. They'll get that for their entree. Why not the big boy for you? Why only eight ounces? Well, Mitch, I've been meaning to talk to you. You know, when guys get to be our age, may want to slow it down a little bit. But but for the young people out there, yeah, I I would go with the big boy. Ladies and gentlemen, Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, four tremendous locations, have been a supporter of mine for years and years, going back on the radio and now at the podcast. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Boom. Meanwhile, that's almost intercepted right into the hands of Quandre Diggs. Could not hold on. Purdy. Great protection and wide open is Kittle. Roaming free. Diggs can't take him down. Nobody else can, and it's a touchdown. I really love this team, and, and I like what they bring and how they go about their work and the attitude, the mentality of it. And I wanted so much for this week to be a, a you know, a reward that they can really you know, take something out of it and uh, and help us take the next step. Seahawks no table time on this episode two hundred and nineteen. Joe Fan win bet in Las Vegas. Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider, ESPN.com. Always presented by Taco Time Northwest. Trivia question for Joe Fan. We're starting the note table with a trivia question to see how well he listens. Oh, dear God. The crispiness formerly known as Mexi fries at Taco Time Northwest are now called what, Joe Fan? Mexi tots. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. Tater fries. Yes. Tater fr- Did you do that on purpose? No, I I knew it was one of the one of the two. Come on, do you do that on purpose? It should still be Mexi fries. I'm going to campaign against <laughs> our friends. All right, you got it right on the second uh, on the. I didn't think you were going to get it right at all. So I'm I'm very I'm very impressed with you, Joe fam. Thanks, Mitch. So Joe, you giggled last week. When you saw the opening line of the San Francisco 49ers-Seattle Seahawks Thursday night battle, and under your breath, which was heard to all the listeners of Mitch Unfiltered, you said something like, I'm going to bet a lot of money 
on that game. Did you? I did. Yeah, much more than I, I normally would on just a single game. Um, it, I mean, in the grand scheme of betting, it's small potatoes to anyone taking the money. But um, yeah, I, I just every, I would say three weeks, there's a line I see and I just say, that's wrong. And this was certainly one of them. I understand all the narratives of short week road team. The Seahawks have dominated. Divisional games are weird. No Debo, yada, yada, yada. And I just said that what my eyes have told me over the last month between these two teams, the talent is not in the same stratosphere. The upside is not in the same stratosphere. The Niners should be able to handle the Seahawks convincingly. And I bet accordingly. And a lot of people that I trust in the betting space were all on Seattle, especially when they got the hook at three and a half uh, instead of the three. And every time I feel like I have that level of, of confidence, like I know more than when what the line knows and what, what Sharps money would say and whatever, I'm always wrong. So I figured I was destined to be wrong on this one as well. And the Seahawks were going to find a, a fluky way to make it, make it happen. And uh, certainly we'll talk about the drop pick by Quandre Diggs and how that would have changed the game. But yes, uh, it was nice to be on the right side of this one, at least in terms of what I expected to happen. Brady, was this the biggest blowout of a 21 to 13 score in the history of 21 to 13 scores? It didn't feel like an eight point win for the 49ers on Thursday night. No, not at all. But, but first of all, I, I do wonder if Joe placed such a big bet that it actually shifted the line late yes. to, to three and a half. Was that yeah. a line shifting? He's a bet whale. He's a whale. That Joe um, fan. Yeah. My $200 didn't affect anything. I can promise you that. <laughs> I'm just trying to throw out betting terms. Like I know what I'm talking about, but you know, that was it. Yeah. 21, 13. It, it did not feel like that well, at oh. all. I mean, that was a game that the 49ers controlled from start to finish. And maybe there was, I would say the only like one second that it felt like the Seahawks had a chance in that game was the one second where it looked like Quandre Diggs was going to pick that pass off. Uh, and then that goes off his hands. And that's a big missed opportunity that, you know, we'll talk about, but um, I think this game really, it, well, obviously it, it further exposed and further solidified how big the gap is between these two teams. And remember 27 to seven in week two, when the Seahawks didn't score an offensive point in that loss, you know, look at what happened the last month where you know, the 49ers are blowing teams out while the Seahawks are either barely scraping by against an under 500 team or losing three games uh, to under 500 teams. And then you just saw it again in this game really just exposed again how, how big the talent gap is when the 49ers come into Seattle with a, four, a third string, you know, rookie seventh round pick at quarterback, no Debo Samuel, and they win that game easily. You know, it was a 21-13 game, but remember, there was a pick six that was negated by a, a very iffy roughing the passer penalty that had no bearing on the pick six at all. That was an after the fact play and, and a questionable one at that. And then the 49ers, you know, they take a knee at the end after they bust that 55 yard run to get deep into the red zone. And so that could be another score there. So 21, 13 game that felt more like 30 to 10, something like that. And yet, and yet both of you in talking about the blowout and the differential bring up the Quandre Diggs drop almost to infer that something legitimately would have been different about the outcome of the game. Let's go back to that 90-second stretch. Everybody remembers it. End of the first half, Seahawks down 7-3. Diggs has an easy interception in his hands at about the 45. He's going to take it back inside the 50 into 
49ers territory with about three and a half, four minutes to go. I'm doing this based on memory. And instead of that, there's a punt and a subsequent Travis Homer fumble, which leads to 14 to three at the half. You both brought it up, so I'll let you both take a crack at this. Joe, if Quandre Diggs makes that INT, how's the game different? I don't know if the outcome is different. It's certainly closer, and you're going into halftime. You know, at least it's a 10-point swing at least. Niners get seven. You'd like to hope the Seahawks would have found a way to at least get a field goal. Heck, Quandre could have scored on that. Yeah. Wide open field the second he catches that. So, yeah, it absolutely changes the complexion of the game. Now, maybe it changes the second half and the Niners keep their foot down on the gas a bit more. It did feel like they got a bit complacent toward the end. That that touchdown drive for the Seahawks uh, in the final minute was or final couple of minutes was, was far too easy. And so I, I think they would look back at that and say that wasn't our best ball. And, uh, and we certainly should have been better because it, it wasn't very sharp from them. They didn't make the Seahawks work very hard to march down the field and get that score to make it a seven point game. No, I'm not going to say the Niners didn't earn it. You don't know how it would have changed from there, but yeah, there's no denying you can't ignore it because given the fumble happened, what four plays, five plays after that, it's a seismic play and a seismic miscue that I'm sure Quandre Diggs felt driving home on, on Thursday night that he let one slip away and then how it's hard not to think about how that would have changed things if you're Quandre and the Seahawks. Yeah. And he, he definitely was. And to his credit, he he came and talked to reporters at the podium afterwards and took complete ownership up ownership of it. The first question to him was <clears throat> bleep that out, please. I uh, know it <laughs> it's unfiltered <laughs> ownership. Slip of the tongue. Ownership. It was unfiltered. Uh, Go ahead. Ownership. Yeah, no, he, he was asked it. You know, were you looking up field prematurely? And he said, no, I just dropped it. And he acknowledged the fact that there's been a few of those this year where, you know, he should have caught and they went off his hands. And it's, it's just weird to think, you remember the Raiders game a couple of weeks ago where he makes that diving interception on the first play, like a really difficult catch. That's, that's about as difficult of an interception as a guy can make. And this was about an easy of an interception yeah, yeah. as a guy could make just yeah. a floater right to him bounces right off his hands. And you know, he had a lot of room to run there. I agree with Joe. It's at least a 10 point swing. And not only that, think of how much your offensive game plan might change in the second half. You're down 14 to three. You're sort of in catch up mode there. I would imagine that they would stick with the run more than they were able to in the second half. And, you know, I know the numbers weren't like gaudy for Ken Walker the third at all, but there was a, a little bit of push that they were getting. They just couldn't really stick with it when you're trying to make up a two score deficit in the second half. So um, it's not to say that the loss is on Quandre Diggs, but certainly that was a huge momentum shift in that game. Brady, Tyler Lockett's finger, Jordan Brooks's neck, please. Yeah. So Tyler Lockett is going to have surgery uh, soon. That's what I was told on Friday. It's going to be soon. And there is some hope. Uh, that he could be back, that he could miss as few as one game. That's what I was told today. Now, Pete Carroll did not say that, but that's what I was told by somebody close to Lockett, that he could miss as few as one one game. It's maybe two, but there is, is, I think, hope by both Lockett and the team that uh, he's going to be back at some point before the end of the regular season, and it's just a question of where are the Seahawks going to be at at that point. And, um, you know, Pete Carroll, uh, after the game on Thursday night, said it's a similar injury to the one that, Uh, Rashad Penny suffered as a rookie during training camp, his rookie year in 2018. And just to give you a sense of the timeline there, went back and looked. That was August 13th that he had the injury. Uh, He had surgery two days later, and he was back for their September 9th opener. So that was about three three weeks or so 
And, you know, that's a different situation where he's a backup running back at that point in the, in the beginning of a season, this is a number one receiver for a team trying to make the playoffs. And so I think there's a chance he could be back for at least one game, if not two games in the regular season. Jordan Brooks. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about that. Pete Carroll said he's hopeful that Brooks can play in the Kansas city game. He said there's no structural damage in his neck, but it still is sore. And so they're going to try to alleviate that. So no really firm word on that other than it doesn't look like a serious neck deal. Joe fan win bet in Las Vegas. We've now seen since the Buccaneers game in Germany, just a complete collapse. I mean, the collapse is almost complete. They lost to the Buccaneers and looked terrible doing it. They lost to the Raiders and looked terrible doing it. They lost to the Panthers and looked terrible doing it. They've gotten beaten up by the 49ers. Barely won the Rams game. If Geno doesn't come through at the end of that game with a strike to DK Metcalf, we're talking about losing that game too to an XFL game. Do you suspect the Seahawks are a dead-in-the-water team now for the next three weeks? Or do you expect some fight? you expect some fight from this squad in Kansas City and then against the uh, the Jets and Rams? You want to say that there's going to be some fight there? I mean, these are prideful dudes, and they, and they know that you can't take playoff opportunities for granted. It's also, I mean, what does that mean against the Chiefs? What does have some fight? It's hard to, you know, they're a... They're going to be severely outmatched across the board. Chris Jones is going to absolutely dominate that game. Frank Clark's going to be pinning his ears back against his former team. The revenge game narrative stays there, in my opinion, with him against the Seahawks. And then this defense is supposed to stop the Chiefs offense. So I just can't even go down that line of thinking because I don't think it's really a winnable game. But I'm not asking about the Chiefs game because... As uh, everybody who listened to Mr. Playoffs will, will, will tell you, there's actually a semi-reasonable path, semi-reasonable, for the Seahawks of the playoffs by winning the last two games of the season at home and getting some help from some friends. Semi-reasonable. They're going to have to show some, some fight in those last two games. They're going to play a pretty good Jets team. You've watched the Jets play. White will probably be back for that game. They're going to have to step up and show some pride to be able to win those last two games. Do you expect them to do that? No. No. They can. Yeah. The Jets aren't in- invincible, but the Jets are a better football team. Okay. I feel confident saying All right. that. All right. Brady, we need to talk about the offensive line because there's been so much hyper-focus, and understandably so, on how bad the defense has been the last five, six weeks of the season. Slowly but surely, this offensive line has kind of disintegrated in front of our eyes. On Thursday night, let's start with the interior of the offensive line. Austin Blythe, from the get-go, from the opening gun, just out of place out there, getting pushed all around. Gabe Jackson, Phil Haynes. What's happened to Damian Lewis? I thought that he was on the verge of being a kind of a Pro Bowl-ish guard in the NFL. Do the Seahawks face not only an overhaul of the defense, but now are we looking again for like the umpteenth time over the last 10 years, an overhaul of the interior of the offensive line? I would, yeah, to some degree, yeah. Because, and you know, it's going to be a natural uh, transition, you know, in some of those guys because, you know, Austin Blythe is a free agent. He's on a one-year deal. Gabe Jackson, he's still under contract, but he's, you know, I, they're almost certainly going to move on from him. Um, and I would imagine that they'll try to re-sign Phil Haynes because by and large he has been, 
good if you know not great but he has been good this season um in spurts you know damian lewis i think he's going to have one year left on his contract so i would imagine that they stick with him at left guard and uh yeah i I just don't see gabe jackson back at whatever number he's making it's a lot of money i think if he didn't have as much guaranteed money in his contract this year you know they would have moved on from him before that and just played phil haynes there full-time but austin Blythe, i think he started out the season he was okay and i think lately you've just seen that it's hard to be really stout when you're an undersized center and you're going against monsters like, you know, Armstead and, and the other guys that he's faced. And, and, you know, Joe mentioned Chris Jones that could get ugly on Christmas Eve. So yeah, I definitely think that at least two of those guys are going to be different next year. Isn't it amazing how much differently we'd feel about the line with oh, the yeah. rookie tackles. <laughs> and then if you just speaking of the chiefs and they'll see him this weekend, yeah, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve, they just take Creed Humphrey instead of DS Grinch, yep. who's on IR right now. I mean, it's just, it's a seismic shift in just one pick that was right there. Yeah. And you've made the point before that it's easy to say that in retrospect, but that was, that was one where everybody was saying it at the time that you need a stud center. He was there. So that was, that's not revisionist history. That was, that was the conversation at the time. Take a step back and ask yourself when it's all said and done and the John Schneider slash Pete Carroll era is over, and we reflect upon that, Joe. Obviously, people are going to at first point to the Super Bowl and then another near Super Bowl. Point to some great draft classes and some really shitty ones. But my God, it's going to be on their Seattle Seahawks tombstone that those two guys could not figure out a way to build an offensive line. Seems like every two or three years, we're talking about the same thing. What are they going to do about the offensive line. Now they go out and get two tackles who we're somewhat excited about, and the whole inside of the offensive line needs to be overhauled. It's the same thing every year. You could say the same thing about their investments in the front seven defensively as well. I mean, it's a lot of lot of swings, a lot of misses. You know, Daryl Taylor's flashed some, although that offsides penalty was just so atrocious on Thursday night. But yeah, I mean, Boye Mafe is is invisible as a second round pick. LJ Collier is just getting snaps out of default because everyone's hurt. We're getting there. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I still, I mean, I've been skeptical of Jordan Brooks from the jump and I, I still don't know what he brings you outside of just sort of empty calorie tackles. So yeah, I, there are fair holes to poke in the entire resume of, of those guys when it comes to the drafting and scouting and all of that. But I want to come um, back to the defense and talk about the overhaul that has to happen with the defense. But before we do that, I asked you guys before we started, is either of you two guys able to put in its proper perspective how Charles Cross has done this year at left tackle? He was the uh, the prize draft choice very high up. What, what pick was he, Brady? Ten, nine. Nine. Nine, I'm sorry. Nine overall. I'm sure some other left tackles, some other rookie tackles and rookie offensive linemen were drafted. Can anybody help me out with where Cross kind of fits into the rookie offensive lineman this year list? Yeah, so so there are eight qualified offensive tackles that are rookies that have played 50% of 928 snaps. So these are starters. Charles Cross is sixth out of uh, eighth. Six out of eight. Abe Lucas is third out of those eight. And Charles Cross leads the list in terms of pressures allowed. Uh, notably, he's just behind uh, Akam and Kwanu 
who was drafted ahead of him and Evan Neal, who is last on this list and drafted ahead of him. So grains of salt to be taken here. I don't think it's been as dynamite a rookie year as you saw with Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater a year ago uh, with the Lions and the Chargers respectively. But I don't think there's anything that you've seen that says the guy's not capable. And that's a very unexpertise evaluation of, of offensive line play and whatever. I Of all the issues, I don't know if I'm looking at Charles Cross and saying it's high up on my list of concerns with this team. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, look, the, the numbers are, there is some subjectivity to the numbers because I could give you the ESPN pass block win rate numbers. And they say that among rookies, uh, rookie tackles that Lucas is first and Charles Cross is third. Wow. That, you know, Big that, difference. and again, yeah. And, and there's just some subjectivity to the numbers, but you know, he had probably his worst pass blocking game on Thursday night, which should not be a surprise because, you know, a lot of that was against Nick Bosa. Now, not all of it was, I think he, he had some losses to uh, Samson Ebucam. I had to say that to redeem myself for screwing up Godwin Igwebuike last week. But um, yeah, I mean, this is the best defensive front in the NFL. You're, you're going to have some losses. And so I, I just, I haven't seen anything from him that discourages the thought that he's going to be a really good player for the next 10 years. Uh, when you're a rookie, you're going against Nick Bosa. You're going to take some L's. Going back to Joe Fan's comment about it would be way down the list of concerns. The reason I bring up the question is not because necessarily I think it's one of the top concerns of the team. I bring up the question because they've sunk so much now draft equity into him. Look, he's going to be the left tackle, like it or not, for the next couple of two, three, maybe even much longer. And I just want to get a sense of what he is. Is he a guy that's on the rise that looks still like a Pro Bowl-ish someday left tackle, or is he going to be a guy that's going to play three or four years at left tackle for the Seahawks, and he's going to be a middle of the list amongst the 32 top left tackles or the 32 starting left tackles in the league? I just want to get a sense of where we're going. Maybe we don't know by now. Let's go. I don't think we know yet. All right, let's go over to the defense. On my show after the game on Thursday with Matt Miklas, I went through the exercise of looking at the pieces on that Seahawks defense and wondering if it's not just a complete teardown. I asked the question, which members of that defense can you say, I can close my eyes and see them playing a role on a good defensive football team? And Matt and I could only come up with two guys, Wosu and Tariq Woolen. There was nobody else on the list. Front seven, defensive back, safeties, nobody else on the list that the two of us could close our eyes. Now, we talked a little bit about Jordan Brooks, some people like him. Joe's obviously anti-anti-Jordan Brooks. But then there's the other guys. You'd like to see them develop Brian and Jackson, but Monet and Woods and Jefferson and Ford and Collier and Adams and Taylor and Barton and Irvin, and the list goes on and on. Neil, I'll throw Quandre Diggs into the mix. I don't see much from him. He doesn't strike me as a really good safety in the league anymore. Am I wrong, when I say there's only two guys on this entire defensive unit that you can close your eyes and see playing on a good defensive team. And if I'm right, doesn't that speak to the magnitude of the teardown this offseason, the overhaul that's needed on the defensive side of the football? Joe, you're first. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I'd give more credit to Quandre that maybe it's a down year coming off of a big injury and he still has some good football left in him. 
Um, I would say that Al Woods and Shelby Harris are are great interior rotational pieces that would be serviceable on great, a good defense. Great, great rotational pieces, solid you, you, rotational pieces. I, good teams have Al Woods and Shelby Harris type players. So those would be the three. And I think Ryan Neal, same thing. I think all of those guys could be starters on a good defense or are players you're really pumped to have on your roster as depth. But your point is valid, certainly, especially when you look at the investment to to Brooks, a first-round pick, Collier, a first-round pick, Maffei and Taylor, two second-rounders. Yeah, and and then Pete Carroll having to comment um, on the, uh, you know, wherever it was, some point last week, it was, we've got to fit the personnel to the scheme. And I feel like his whole talking point, his whole time in Seattle, we want to build schemes around players and and accentuate strengths and that just to me seems so bizarre because it's sort of square peg round hole. Why would you make the pivot if you don't have the personnel to, to sort of go along with it? So yeah, I, there, this last month has definitely been an eye opener and it's still a, a solid season. They overachieved. They, they exceeded the win total they were looking at, but when that middle of the, the four game winning streak, when all of a sudden, and we did it on the show, started talking about how, well, maybe it's not a full rebuild. Maybe it's just a retooling, and all of a sudden, with the draft capital coming their way in 2023, they can be that playoff team in 2023 and, and maybe be a factor in the NFC. And now that you've seen these games, you say, whoa, boy, there is still so much work to be done, particularly, like you mentioned, on defense, where there just really is a total void of foundational pieces. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a concern. And I wonder, yeah, we talk about the scheme changes that they made up front. I wonder, I, I'm not convinced that they're going to stick with this. When you look at how bad this has been, uh, I, you know, th- look, their defensive issues are not the different coverages that they're playing on the back end. It's the scheme shift that they made up front going away from what Pete Carroll has known and what he has done and what by and large has been, you know, saved for the last couple of years. But uh, by and large, he's had a ton of success with. And so I'm I'm not certain. I can't say right now that they're going to stick with this. That brings to mind, you know, look at some of these players up front that were pretty good players before uh, this season and are kind of not really making much of an impact right now. Puna Ford comes to mind and he's going to be a free agent. Certainly. I think that's a, yeah, that's a fascinating uh, conversation of what to do with him. He, I mean, he was a really good player doing what they used to do. And I wonder if, the scheme just isn't right for some of these guys mm-hmm. going back to the back end to the safeties. You know, I think that uh, I agree with Joe. I think there's, we've seen a lot more really good football at a quandary digs than bad football. And I do wonder if this is a down year coming off the injury and, you know, either way, the way his contract is structured him and Jamal Adams, I think it's really going to be hard to be move on from either of those guys after this season. So I think you're stuck with those guys for both at least one more year. Wallen obviously looks like a stud, you know, we'll see what they got in Trey Brown and Mike Jackson, how those guys develop. But, you know, I, I wonder if part of their issue is the scheme is just not right for the players. They don't have the right players for the scheme. And I would say that that game Thursday night was exhibit one through a hundred on how big of a difference a stud defensive lineman can make. And, you know, I, I wonder if he's so good. Yeah. He's I mean, so he, that's, he's just on another level of, of, and that's, that's the type of guy that they haven't really been in position to take because they're picking it late in the first round. That guy's long gone by then. And I, and I do think that that gap 
is bigger with edge rushers than it in, that it is with other positions. Like you're always going to have a drop off from the guy you can get at five to 25, but I do think that drop off is bigger. And so watching that game, how do, how do you not take a guy like that, whether it's a, a game wrecker on the edge or in the interior, you see how much of a difference that guy can make and you see how badly your defense needs that. Which brings us to the part of the show called who was doing some work. Now I'm really excited to hear after that performance on Thursday night, most of the Seahawks have been taken off the board for who was doing some work. Clearly, ESPN editors have been taken off the board for who was doing some work. Taco Time Northwest, home of the tater fries, Joe Fan, loves people who enjoy doing some work. I wish I could have been in the boardroom for that meeting, for that brainstorm. Well, I'll let Robbie know to include you the next time on Zoom or something like that. Perfect. Mine, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to go last. I don't have any qualms or any concerns that you guys are going to steal my guy or guys. So therefore, it's totally random and I'm stress-free. I'll, you be, sure about that? I'll be happy to go third. It, look, if you guys steal my guys this time, I give up. I give up. If we're thinking along the same lines, then we're too similar Brady, would you like to go first or would you like to defer and let Joe Fan go first? I'm I'm not going to defer to the second half. I okay. will take the opening kick. And okay. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna stick with the conversation we were just having. And I'm gonna pick Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, the two inside linebackers for the 49ers. And, you know, we were talking about earlier about how Joe, I think, had the 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 good phrase of how a lot of Jordan Brooks's tackles seem like empty calorie tackles. You know, you get a really good reminder watching those two 49ers guys yeah. of what the opposite of that is like really impact plays where they're taking on blocks and they're shedding them and they're making tackles at the point of attack, not five yards downfield. They're going sideline to sideline. They're, they're making plays in the passing game. Uh, so I mean, it's just another reminder of, of I think how much you, you could potentially upgrade uh, your two inside guys. Now, Jordan Brooks, he's a first round pick. Um, they're gonna, I think they're definitely having for at least one more year and maybe two, if they pick up the fifth year option. So he's going to be there, I think one way or another, unless they trade him, which that would, that's a whole nother conversation, but they got a chance to really upgrade that other inside spot with a playmaker. And it's was one of many things that front seven needs. So, so uh, Fred Warner, and Dre Greenlaw were doing some big-time work against the Seahawks Thursday night. Thanks for taking my guys. Uh, Joe Fan, you're never Did I really? No. Oh. <laughs> Joe Fan, the world is Yeah, your, well, we've already, did, we've already discussed. I know it's not going to be yours, so I, I'm not going to spend much time on them. We already discussed that Nick Bosa was doing a ton of work. Okay. So uh, you just guys to sack yeah. sick. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, six pressures, sack quarterback. I mean, he was dominant. I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan, who was doing a Ooh. whole lot of work. Did, did I get you? No, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is not even related to this game. It has nothing That's to do I with figured. the Thursday night game. That's so what I ahead. figured. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was on fire. And you look at this, the two touchdowns that George Kittle had, yeah. who was also doing work so much of that, he is wide open. The double fake screen pass Sweet. to George Kittle slipping down the middle of the field for his first touchdown. And then also his second one, 54 yards. He's he's lined up in line uh, right off the uh, the left shoulder of Trent Williams. 
and leaks out up the left seam to the sideline, does the whole, the rest of the work himself, breaking a couple of tackles in the open field. And then you saw Tyler Croft had a 28 yard catch at the end of the game. Again, a run look moving to the right. Tyler Croft is blocking leaks down the right sideline. He's wide open. There was so much of that. Yes. And that's why yes. this Niners team is largely still a Super Bowl contender is because yes, the defense is amazing, but all you got to do if you're Brock Purdy and yes, he has the intangibles, the leadership, the belief of, do much. of the locker room and all that. He didn't do much. Kyle Shanahan is going to give you layups. You just got to make layups yep. and not make the big mistake. And Kyle Shanahan with the run game ingenuity, Plus. with the passing game, scheming guys wide open, he was doing some work and he probably on his way out on that charter flight home had some, had some Mexi tots <laughs> on the plane. Home. Tater, One would imagine. Come on. Tater fries. Tater fries. Mexi tots. Joe. Joe, can I tell Mexi-tots you before tots in the Cali burrito? Oh, that's the best. Can I tell you before I tell you who was my doing some work, my reaction after they threw the pass that you're talking about the fake one way, the fake, the other way, and then up the seam for an easy touchdown. I had two thoughts about that. The first thing I said to myself was, geez, why can't the Seahawks show a little creativity like that with their tight ends? Fake one way, fake the other way, then throw down the seam. My immediate second thought and answer to my own question was, because if the Seahawks tried that play, by the time he faked the second time, (laughs) there'd be three guys smashing Geno and, and drilling him to the ground, to the turf at Lumen Field. There'd be no way they would have enough time to fake one way, fake the other way, and then throw the ball down the middle. No way! I thought we were going to hear your rant about why the Seahawks don't have a screen game. I and, have and, on my list. I skipped it. Okay, well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that game was the perfect example of the reason you need a good screen game to slow down a pass rush that really has your number. Um, you know, they, I think one of the few times they actually completed it was the Travis Homer play and he coughs it up. So yeah, I wouldn't look at the numbers. It. Yeah. I mean, they just are among the lowest in the league in terms of completed passes to running backs on can't execute, scratching. can't execute a screen pass. Joe can't use timeouts, right? Joe can't use challenges, right? There's going to come a time where I think that this is all a big joke because it's become ridiculous already. Their screen passes, their timeout use, and their challenge use, it's almost like we're getting punked. Like I'm looking around. Is there some sort of a camera, hidden camera on all 12s to watch this? It's. I don't know if we can leave this like kind of like little teaser for the next no table. Yes. I don't, and I have this kind of gut feeling. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Pete Carroll is back next year. Oh. See, now, how am I going to do some work after that? Well, you think he's going to quit or Jody Allen's going to fire him? He he will never be fired. Okay. So it, that it will, whatever, whenever it does happen, it will be a retirement, mutual party, whatever. We'll talk about that on Thursday for well, the Friday show. Okay. I think it's worth a conversation. Now that he's got Gino, you think he's going to quit? I think it's worth a conversation. Is he going to have Gino next year? If he wants Ooh. him, if he wants him, he's going to have him. The intrigue. Yeah. Oh, the intrigue on uh, the yeah. table. Can I tell you who was doing some work? Yeah, please. Every day we wake up to the news of the growing list of college football players that are opting out of bowl games to prepare for the NFL draft. Every day, Brady's ESPN.com breaks the news of another two, three, four, five guys. 
that are not going to play in bowl games. Correct, Brady? ESPN.com is on top of that. Are you giving, are you telling us the editors are doing some work? Joe, every day, your odds makers at WinBet are having discussions, internal discussions on what are we doing with bowl game spreads after they keep hearing about all these guys that are opting out. Well, let me tell you something, boys. If there were ever two guys that would be the perfect candidates to skip a bowl game, it would be one of the guys who you'd like to see on the Seahawks next year, maybe both of them. It would be the two Alabama guys, Bryce Young and Will Anderson. They will be definitely two of the top five picks. And there's a scenario where they could be one and two. There's actually a scenario they could be the number one and two picks. Both banged up with injuries. Both have done nothing but play for college football playoffs and championships. And now they're in a meaningless sugar bowl at the end of their careers against Kansas State. And you know what they both announced on Thursday, Joe Fan? They're doing some work. They're coming back and they're playing in that game. Now, there's a lot of people that would say to me, Mitch, this is the most stupid decision by two young men ever. They are. It is. I mean, th- these guys. I mean, it's, objecti- have every- it's objectively stupid. Uh, okay. These guys have everything to lose. Everything. A bad knee injury in the Sugar Bowl. Can you imagine what people are going to say if somebody comes up with a torn ACL? And yet they say, you know what? Yeah, we're normally playing for national championships. Yeah, we're going to be one and two or one and three or two and four or one and five. We are playing our last college football game against Kansas State for Nikki Saban. We don't care what everybody else is doing around the country. And I, as a college football fan, while it might be stupid, I, as a college football fan, love this story. Love this story. So, ladies and gentlemen, I say hats off to Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And, of course, as soon as we finish this note table, they'll both announce we were just kidding. We're not playing in the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> and I'll be uh, looking like I have egg on my face. Anyway, you sure you Do you, you think they call Saban Nikki Saban? No, I don't think anybody calls him Nick, Nikki, or anything. They call him Coach. <laughs> they call him Old, old Saint Nick around this no, time of year? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm happy to have the Pete Carroll conversation if you want to, Joe, right now. We can lay it on the line right now if you want. It's up to you. Let's save it for episode 220. Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, guys. And my guy, Brady Henderson, who has a rare weekend off. ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Thank you, Brady. All right. Thank you. See ya. Well, I'll be damned. Look, look who it. All right. That was corny. That was corny. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. What's the latest over there, Dan? How's Zeke's doing? That was very corny. That's even cornier <laughs> than the nicknames. It's funny, though. Uh, uh, what's new over here? You know, it's it's fall time and lots of football, uh, lots of pizza, lots of beer. We're transitioning here to a new beer lineup. Fall has its own rhythms, uh, moves a little bit more towards delivering takeout and away from dine-in a little bit, but people are coming in to watch football in our bars and stuff, and so we're like probably most of the listeners here is we're, yeah. we're rooting, for, rooting for the Hawks and enjoying that. I'll tell you what, anybody who's listened to Unfiltered knows that you guys are growing like a weed. Spokane is humming along. A visitor, too, from a certain Gonzaga basketball coach. Boise, Idaho is on the way. That'll represent the first restaurant outside of the Washington State. And I was wondering, going back to the beginning, was that always the idea, the wide, wide footprint going outside of the state of Washington, Dan? 
Yeah, Mark Few asked for you while he was over there. I told him you'd be right over. I do. It wasn't necessarily when it started. Uh, Doug and Tom, our founders, it was more basic than that. They really wanted to kind of live the ultimate Northwest lifestyle. And to them, that meant powder skiing and windsurfing. And <laughs> they had lame jobs in Anderson Consulting that really didn't allow them to do a lot of that. So they, you know, they founded Zeke's to have kind of the independence and be able to build the life they want. And, you know, we continue to do that through our franchising. That's a cool thread from our origin. But pretty soon after we started, it became clear that we were definitely the pizza place that had kind of Northwest values at its roots. And it became clear that we could become the Northwest pizza place. And, you know, one foot in front of the other all these years, we're on the verge of actually doing that. You mentioned that we're uh, getting ready to open Boise. That's on track for February. And, you know, we're working on Portland and it looks like that has a good chance of happening. And so between those two things, we actually will be the real Northwest pizza place. It'll be great. Incredible. Feels like winners really snuck up on us. Zeke's has always had the best local beer selection. We've talked about that. And you've always said that there are certain brews that go well with this time of year. What are those? Yeah, you know, winter beers, they heavy is the wrong term, but they're a little bit more high octane and drink one or two or so. We just got a new batch of Zeke and Destroy that hit uh, restaurants a couple of days ago. And, and Zeke and Destroy is one of our flagships. It's one of the ones that you can only get at Zeke's. We talk about all the beers that you can only get at Zeke's and that's one of the most popular ones for sure. So we just got a new batch of kegs in for that. It's in most of the restaurants and like I say, it's high octane. It's a double IPA. It's almost 9%. So proceed with caution, but they're really tasty and they they go really well in winter. So Oh, Zeke's Pizza. Download the app. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. segment episode 219 hot shots got michigan city indiana hello that's not confusing at all is it michigan's have you ever heard of michigan city indiana i haven't heard of any of these no other than what was the first one you did gary indiana you told me you knew all about gary indiana you told me you live there i wrote a book on gary indiana for god's sakes all right am i up here i actually know of michigan city indiana how this is the most arbitrary sports story of all time (laughs) most random sports story that will entertain nobody so i'll go through it fast please When I was getting ready to go to college and considering colleges, I went up to visit one of the schools that I was considering along with with, uh, Syracuse was Northwestern. Oh, okay. Good school, yeah. Northwestern. It came down to Northwestern, Michigan, and Syracuse for me. Okay. My father took me up to visit Northwestern. That's where Brett Musburger had gone, and I sat in the chair, the campus radio station where Brett Musburger, it's at whatever. And we stayed in Chicago, and there was an all-American basketball player. For all of you that think that I don't watch sports. <laughs> no one thinks that, do they? Yes, they do. Okay. This was like 1985. There was an all-American. I just remember there was an all-American high school basketball player named Delray Brooks. Okay. Who was from Michigan City, Indiana. <laughs> God, that's random. That's how I knew Michigan City, Indiana. And when my father and I were in Chicago... And going to Northwestern for my interview and to see the campus and so forth. Yeah. We saw signs for Michigan City, Indiana. Home for oh, me. Delray Brooks. Delray Brooks. Amazing. Did he go? Did he play anywhere? Or do you know? Yeah, he ended up, I think, on Providence. Okay. 
I think he went to Indiana. Maybe he went to Indiana and then transferred to Providence. He was a good player, a good okay. college player. Yep. But in high school, he was oh, he yeah. was the shit. <laughs> and he was from Michigan City, <laughs> Indiana. Funny. So when I say <laughs> Michigan City, Indiana, yeah. hello. You look up Delray Brooks, you'll find out. He's a native from Michigan City, Indiana. And I'm sure you're in a hurry to do that. You go ahead. Let, let's, let's have Delray Brooks on. Let's just tell yeah, him that sure, story. He'll sure, love it. Sure. An eight-year-old boy from Colorado has officially become the youngest person to ski on all seven continents. Oh. Eight years old. All right. Just know that my parents didn't possess a checking account when I was eight years old. All right. <laughs> I didn't fly on Where'd a plane. Where did your parents meet? Uh, Kmart. Did you know that? Yeah. You yeah, told yeah. me they met at Kmart. Because they both worked there they or one worked. worked there and one was a... They both worked there. They both worked my, at Kmart. My dad sold uh, fine jewelry. And uh, my Come mom... On. He worked on the watch. There's like a jewelry <laughs> set. <laughs> my dad was in the... Yeah. Fake Rolexes or whatever. Yeah. Anyway... It, 18 years old until I was on a plane. This little shit's been an eight, not, seven continents. I mean, yeah, not, yeah. not only visiting, but he skis on them. Like, I was, what would it have taken for my parents to put together a ski trip? Like, where do you buy tickets? Who has a credit card to book shit? Skis cost money. God, I'm just, this little shit, I'm just jealous of Were this Were you ever kid. a skier, a snow skier? That costs money. No, of course not. I'm talking about to your, today. To, 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 you've never been on snow skis? Never? Not, I've been on a snowboard a couple times, okay. but that's How'd it. How'd that go for you? It was okay. I kind of figured it out. I've yeah. I've done a lot of uh, what's it called like wakeboarding behind a boat. Yeah. So that I can do pretty well. Yeah. But you never were on skis ever. Never on skis. Never once. Not once. How about that? It was the winter. I always played basketball. A Florida and... guy like me. I've been on skis. You have snow skis and water skis. Yeah. yeah not well, good at not good at the snowing part. Oh really? Yeah. No. You wouldn't try wakeboarding. I'm not wakeboarding. Uh, snowboarding. Oh no. I don't. I no no. Because that seems like a little more fun than skiing. Easier seems... or not not so easy. <sighs> Who knows? I'm no expert. I don't know. Why don't we do a live show at the past? Yes, right, let's, let's do go. it. Let's right, go. You're up. <laughs> the NCAA bowl record. You know, it's bowl season, Scott. It is, yes. Did you know that the NCAA bowl record for yards rushing? How many years have bowls been played? Oh, yeah. Hundreds of years, right? Or probably not. Not hundreds, but yes. The all-time record for most yards rushing in a bowl game was beaten this past week. Wow. 329 yards rushing and three touchdowns this running back for Southern Miss to hold off Rice 38-24 in the Lending Tree Bowl. 329 yards. Would you like to know his name? Yes, I would. Frank Gore Jr. Come on, is it really? Yes. <laughs> God, good for him. Why couldn't my dad have been in the NFL and I could have been good at football like that? Frank Gore Jr., whose father I think is still playing yeah, in the he, NFL. Or he's fighting, he's doing something. He's yes, still he's fighting. He's still active. Frank Gore Jr., 329 Unreal. yards for Southern Miss. So when I saw this story, I called up a picture of Frank Gore Jr. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like I needed to get to the website, call the, the administrators of the website to tell them they put Frank Gore up there, not Frank Gore Jr., until I realized it's just... A younger version. <laughs> he looks exactly like his father. That's awesome. He's like a twin of his father. Really? Exa I don't know if you can picture facially. Of course, yeah. With Frank, yeah. Gore, Frank Gore Jr. with That's long hair. Funny. It's a long-haired, younger version of his father. It's crazy. On and off the field, there just you like go. his dad. Now, whose record did he break? I want to know. I don't know. Okay. Can't uh, answer that. Do we need to talk about the World Cup? Do you have any Argentina... I heard it was a hell of a game. I forgot to watch it. I was actually planning if I was up. What time was it on? I don't know. But it was a nail-biter, I heard. Unbelievable. 3-3, three, yeah. three, went to penalty kicks. A good old-fashioned shootout. Messi yeah. against the guy from France. Everybody says the guy from France is better than Messi now, but Messi Killian got the last lap. Killian Mbappé or whatever. Yeah. Yolata. Need some more vowels in that name. Yep. Argentina eked it out. 
A 75-year-old Brazilian man, by the way, awarded a Guinness World Record for the most World Cup tournaments attended by an individual. Nice. Nice. 11. He's been to 11 World Cups. So now, Stretch, Matt Stretch Johnson, he's there got something go. to look forward to. Something to shoot for. That's right. See if you can beat it, kid. The big baseball shortstop sweepstakes are now officially over. Nah. Closed. Okay. How many of them do the Mariners get? <laughs> um, would you like to know the final numbers? Yes. Trey Turner, who was the shortstop of the Dodgers, signs with the Phillies in free agency. 11 years, $300 million. Xander Bogarts, who was with the Red Sox, Signs with the Padres for free agency, 11 years, $280 million. Carlos Correa, who was with the Twins, formerly of the Strohs, mm -hmm. in free agency, signs with the Giants, 13 years, $350 million smackers. Gosh. And finally, the bargain basement deal of the century. <laughs> yeah, who got the worst deal Better here? Better than even Mitch Unfiltered for 12 months at $2.50. <laughs> yeah. Dansby Swanson. The young shortstop, now formerly of the Braves, only got yeah. seven years, $177 million. So if the Mariners wanted to get involved but wanted the cheap way out, yeah. it would have cost them seven years, $180 million for Dansby Swanson. Now they got J.P. Crawford playing there instead? Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bet ninth. That should be awesome. Maybe 12th. <laughs> By the way, did anyone send you the story about your buddy Nathan Apodaca? Remember Nathan Apodaca? Yeah, the guy on the... On the skateboard. Yeah. He was doing the Fleetwood Mac dreams yeah, yeah, routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? Don't tell me something bad happened. Well, a state trooper pulled over his red Chevy Silverado that I think was gifted to him after that video. Oh. Um, he was driving because of an expired registration tag. That's why oh. he was pulled over. Yeah. When he walked up to the truck, officer said he smelled marijuana. Uh. So still illegal in Idaho for some reason. Might be nice to join us in 2022. Nathan says a different version happened. The, the, the guy said he had a felony, but he didn't have a felony, and it was a whole thing. So anyway, your buddy was arrested for marijuana. Speaking of my buddy, do you remember your buddy Corey Humans? Do you remember that name? Yeah, it sounds familiar. We've talked about him a few times. Y-O-U-M-A-N-S. Y-O-U-M-A-N-S. We've talked to him about a few times. Who's that? I'm Mitch Unfiltered. He's the guy who caught home run ball number 62 from Aaron Judge. That's right, yes. Against the Rangers. Remember the guy out there? Oh, grabbed sure, the yeah, ball. Yeah. Everybody surrounded him. There was a lot of speculation and questions what he was going to do. Yep. Then his lawyer announced that they had been offered $3 million by a private collector. Yep. $3 million for home run ball number 62. And they declined it. His client declined it because he wanted to take it to auction and see how much he could get through auction. Okay. Well, you tell me whether it was a good deal to decline the $3 million or not. <laughs> okay. He got $1.5 million ah. over the weekend. And once you like, w once you sign up, you're on the hook, right? There's no like, well. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's gone. $1.5 million. Wow. The ball has been sold. He turned down $3 million. Then the only, I don't have the name of the winner of the bid. Yeah. But if it's the guy that offered $3 million, <laughs> That would be awesome. We got a hell of a story. <laughs> it's better than uh, Mitchell Unfilter for 50% off. He got the ball for 50% off. By the way, quite quite the opposite of what Aaron Judge did, right? He sort of bet on himself. And remember, Aaron Judge turned down yeah. a bunch of money and said, nah, I think I can do better. Well, quite the opposite for his ball, apparently. I also remember loving when Aaron Judge's reaction when they asked him, do you want the ball back? And are you going to negotiate with this guy? And he was like, yeah, it would be great to have the ball. But you know what? Fans pay to come to a game. That's a fan's ball. That's his deal. And yeah. he can do whatever he wants. And I, yeah. I support whatever decision he makes. He was very selfless about the ball. Well, it's Aaron easy Judge. to be selfless when you have that kind of money in your pocket, right? 
A little easier to be selfless. I guess. Yes, it is. How do you feel about those long drive guys in golf? Does that do anything for you? Do you uh, care? Are they annoying? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Well, this guy, Kyle Berkshire, set a new record by hitting a ball 235 miles per hour. Now, you play golf. 235 miles. Yeah. I'm guessing that's insanely fast. Well, the other record. day, I was, I was gunned at 212, I think. Oh, you were? Okay. No. Oh, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. You could have told me. Like, what is a like? What is a PGA Tour? A hundred. Oh, a PGA Tour guy. Yeah. Like, what does he know. hit off the driver? I don't know. One fifty. Uh, One sixty. One seventy. Two thirty-five. This guy hits him four fifty all the time. But see, I, I would think you'd be sort of interested in watching that. But you're saying they're just more annoying than. You know, it's the type of thing that you put on and you see that it's on, and you're like, okay, I'm going to watch this. And about yeah. three minutes later, you're like, why did I want to watch? This? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a I far. I get it. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I not really watch. golf. It's just a guy teeing. Congratulations off. are in order to the University of Washington. Okay. Or are they the highest rated unsigned wide receiver in the nation? Has verbally committed to the University of Washington. He is from Tennyson, California. His name is Tayshawn Lyons, and he has verbally committed to the University of Washington, the 30th best wide receiver in the country. He's picked UW over Oregon, Miami, and Notre Dame. Thank you, Michael Penix. That's the good news. Yep. But he has announced, I won't sign until February because, quote, I want to make sure I made the right decision. End quote. Do we have him or do we not have I him? Don't I don't know either. I can't make sense of it. <laughs> God. Okay. Thank you, I guess. I don't know. That'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, you might see some more of those by the He may not come, but Michael Penix come. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing you can wave in front of an 18-year-old, right? The Huskies landed a commitment from Sioux Falls transfer edge rusher Zach Durfee. He's a 6'6", 250-pound right. uh, edge rusher. He was under the radar playing at the Division II level. Okay. Had 12 sacks as a redshirt freshman, including four sacks and two forced fumbles in his very first career game. He's going from Division II up to Division I, and he will play next year for the University of Washington. I'll take it. And mm -hmm. Washington State head coach Jake Dickard is pissed. He's sick and tired of all the tampering that's going on in the world of college football. Oh. There's more tampering going on than you could ever imagine, he said. We've had guys contact our players' parents. We had a coach from another school contact one of our players and offer him an NIL deal. Ugh. One of our players, a coach. There's more things going on behind the scenes than you can even imagine. You can't imagine the things that are happening to try to pry our players away, says Washington State coach Jake Dickert. This is kind of what people thought may happen, right? This yes. would be kind of... Some fallout yes. of that whole NIL and all that transfer yes. portal. Yeah. Yes. Quick update on the man charged with attacking Dave Chappelle on stage. Remember that okay, at the yeah, Hollywood I Bowl? I remember. He just got sentenced to nine months behind bars after taking a plea deal with prosecutors. He pled no contest to a pair of misdemeanor counts. Remember, he entered a restricted area during the live performance. And so this is all on top of the ass kicking he got on stage as well. So nine months for coming at Dave Chappelle. You remember the, the incident at a high school football game after a high school football game involving Akib Talib and his brother uh, and an opposing coach. Remember I th that? I think it might have been younger kids, wasn't it? Was it maybe, I don't know if it was high school. High school. Or maybe oh, younger. Yeah, youth sports. I think it might have been like even. Yeah, like, youth sports. Not that it makes it any worse or better, but yeah. Michael Hickman, 43 years old, was coaching one team. He came across the field. He was punched by Akib Talib, and then he got up off the ground, and he was shot five times and killed. Yeah. Essentially murdered in front of all these kids. Yep. A wrongful death lawsuit against both Talib 
brothers. Oh. Police in St. Louis hotshot are investigating after a KFC employee said a customer shot him. Why? Why did the customer... Let's play a little game. Do I want to laugh at somebody getting shot at a KFC? Why did the KFC employee get shot, hotshot? They ran out of gravy. Close. Really? Okay. Really close. <laughs> all right. <laughs> they ran out of corn. Corn, of all things, set yes. him off. Oh. Investigators... Gravy, I get. I mean, I've wanted to do that myself, but corn? Investigators said the shooting suspect attempted to place an order in the restaurant's drive through lane. Uh-huh. The man had a gun. When he drove up to the drive through window, the injured employee who went outside to talk to the driver returned to the restaurant and said he had been shot. The driver Jeez. fled, and as a as of the recording of this podcast, St. Louis, Missouri, they have not found the shooter. He was angry after they he was told in the drive through lane that they were out of court. Oh, the guy survived. The employee survived. survived yes. So we can sort of chuckle, but yes. people are losing it out there over corn. Over corn. Unreal. Is KFC corn that good? I don't remember it being that good. I, I don't remember. You're asking the wrong guy. I'm sure it's fine. I don't know. It's KFC. How good is it going to be? It's not the, you know, unreal. Terrible. All right. A Colorado town broke an unofficial world record for the longest shot ski. Now, Mitch will break down exactly what a shot ski is. Don't know what a shot ski is. Really? Yeah. You ever oh, seen- oh, oh, where they all get lined up with the ski. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen and that. And they all yeah. take a shot at the same yeah, time? At the same time. You've seen that? Yeah, I've done that. Well, the town of Breckenridge, which passed yeah, Colorado. Unofficial- yeah, there you go. Yeah. They broke the record against its rival at this this Utah town. 468 skis turned into a 2,400-foot-long chain. 1,350 people took shots of the Broncos bourbon at the same time. So congrats. I'm glad they're working on uh, important stuff in Breckenridge. And congratulations are in order to Amazon, Hotshot. Okay. Installing the historic pink elephant car wash sign. Oh. On their Seattle headquartered campus. That's awesome. Blocks from the original home. You can picture where sure. it was oh, yeah. for all those years. It was on, right on, uh, was that Mercer? Or, it was on Mercer or Denny? Denny. It was on I Denny, it, I, think. I think. it might yeah, have been yeah. on Denny, yeah. I know exactly where it was, yeah. B. Haverfield created that sign 65 years ago. It's wow. an institution. Yeah, it is. She's the Seattle queen of neon. Huh. Well, the, uh, the car wash, the original car wash sign is now being featured on Amazon's campus. I like that kind of Restored, stuff. Restored, refreshed, shined up. It's there for everyone to see. I love it. Forever. Forever. That should not be in the landfill. I'm so glad somebody there you go. took over and made that happen. Not to be outdone, I have the original Razzmatazz sign from the, the club right there <laughs> as well. It's all it's ready to go. I restored it. It looks oh. great. Didn't it, what did they have? Like 99, would they have like 100 girls and one, one ugly yeah, one? Or was that like their that. thing? All right. Yeah, yeah. A Michigan woman was hit with felony charges this week for her role in an elaborate catfishing scheme that targeted her own daughter. Which what? She, uh, she was catfishing what? her own daughter. You're speaking a different language. She was pretending to be somebody else, catfi- being mean to her daughter online, <laughs> bullying her, but later tried to blame it on other teens. What? I, I don't. It, she was a I'm basketball confused. coach, too. I'm confused, too. Yeah. She was arrested and charged Monday with two counts of stalking a minor, her daughter, two counts of using a computer to commit a crime, wow. obstruction of justice. Jesus. It started in 2021 when her daughter and the the, her then boyfriend were being cyberbullied, but somehow the FBI pieced it together with her stupid IP addresses and realized, uh, this is your mom doing this. We know where it's coming from. God. The mom confessed to everything and... Yeah, she's facing uh, some time away. Thanks, Mom. Like, high school's not hard enough. Now you're cyberbullying me? Talk about a troubling arrest. Are you following the story about the Texas men's basketball coach, Chris Beard? No. One of the best coaches in America. Oh, yeah. 
He's suspended indefinitely by the Texas Longhorns basketball or athletic program. Okay. Arrested the other day on felony domestic assault charges against his companion. Accused of strangling her. Ugh. Now the woman says she doesn't want to move forward with the case. Yeah. They're saying it could take a very long time because it involves strangulation and there's com- some complexities to this thing. But right now, one of the top coaches in all of college basketball, Chris Beard, is out for the time being. The Travis County DA prepares to present its case to the grand jury at a very ugly scene ugly. in Austin, Texas. Your buddy Sylvester Stallone booked for a gig last weekend in L.A. called Experience with Sylvester Stallone Live. Catchy. <laughs> Sponsored by the same a company of the same name where folks shelled out you know, money to have a nice dinner, hear Sly mumble on stage and bid on signed memorabilia. Well, yeah. Naturally, there were different packages available, including some top-tier ones that included a meet-and-greet, promised to pick with him, 750 bucks to 1250 Well, what ended up happening, though, Sly wasn't able to get through all the photo ops. The organizers stay, say Stallone was sick, had to leave early. Stallone says, poppycock, they sold way too many of these packages. <laughs> so people are pissed off. They're going to get a refund. They oh, thought geez. they were going to get a pick with Stallone, and they got turned away. So just, you know. If you were one of them, you'll get your money back. I've got one RIP. Do you have any RIPs? I don't think I do. Okay, I have one. Okay. Syracuse basketball legend Louis Orr. You ever heard of the name? No. Played between 1976 and 1980 for Jim Beheim. Was part of Jim Beheim's very first recruiting class in 1976. Wow. Was an All-American. Played in the NBA for many years. Coached both in the NBA and college. Coached at Seton Hall. Coached for the New York oh, Knicks. Oh, boy. Okay. Died at the age of 64 following a battle with pancreatic cancer. A very short battle. I just saw him a week or so ago on TV. He was part of Patrick Ewing's bench coaching staff at Georgetown. Gotcha. Everybody says the world's nicest guy gone way too young at the age of 64. Yeah. Beheim at his press conference after the game took no questions on Saturday and just was very riddled with emotion. Mm. Talking about his longtime friend Louis Orr. Rest in peace to Louis Rest Orr. In peace. All right, got some headlines when we sure, get out of here? Sure. A married couple are applying for a Guinness World Record certification after they rode 18,000 miles through 21 <laughs> countries on a tandem bike. Really? One in the front, one in the back, you know? 18,000 miles? Through 21 countries. Still no official word on the exact number of husband farts his wife absorbed during the trip. Maybe I can be in the front next time. In the white elephant. Oh, come on. In a white elephant gift exchange at a company's holiday party. As opposed to a pink elephant? <laughs> exactly. Gift exchange? Yes. A Kentucky woman won $175,000 from a scratch-off lottery ticket that somebody gave for a white elephant gift. The co-worker who gifted the woman the lottery ticket was quoted as saying, Shit! A customer pulls a gun at a Michigan Walmart after their pickup order takes too long. While the police are calling it a crime, Walmart employees are calling it Tuesday. And finally, a U.S. woman broke a Guinness World Record by putting on 19 pairs of underpants in 30 what? seconds. 19 pairs of underpants in 30 wow. seconds to, to break a record. Little known fact, the record quickly the record for quickly putting on women's underpants was previously held by Mitch Levy's college girlfriend. <laughs> sounded anemic that one <laughs> rightfully so <laughs> enjoy the hockey game oh yeah let's go i gotta get out of here ladies and gentlemen if you know anybody that would like to become a mitch unfiltered patron <laughs> yeah they can get a discounted rate 50 percent off until december the 25th 12 month subscription all the shows that we ever do and everything else 
for 50% off, $30 over 12 months, $2.50 per month. Good deal. We're looking for new ears. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It'd be, it would be nice, yes. Yes, it would be <laughs> Episode 219, Michigan City, Gary, Indiana. Yes. Hello is in the books.